That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. B F F T. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald faced truth. Welcome in, Bald Face Truth. Newby and for Kazano on this fine Thursday, huh? What do we got? Beautiful out there today. What's going on? If you're listening in Portland on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network flagship, 750 the game. Or down in Eugene, Klamath Falls as well. It's good to have you here. Roseburg in the house. And of course, wherever you are, you can stream for free at 750thegame.com. Good to be with you. Judah Newby in for John Kazano, But John will join the program from Vegas in the 5 o'clock hour. Don't miss it. Of course, the four-seed Ducks taking on the five-seed Cougs. Pac-12 tournament quarterfinals. Can Dana Altman channel a little more Duck March magic? Vegas has treated them well in the past. We'll see if they can channel it into another big run deep into the conference tournament. So we'll check in with Kanzano from Vegas in the 5 o'clock hour. Do not miss that at all. Stephen Vaughn joins me. He's spinning it behind the glass. Stephen, what's up, dude? I know it's been a day for you already, my friend. It's been uh, it's been quite the adventure, quite the day. But uh, I tell you what, Judah, I am glad that uh, that part of the day is over. And this part of the day is ahead of me. We yeah, uh, we can go into detail if you like, but uh, let's just let the listeners know it was a. Uh, uh, it was a water heater day. It was it was a costly day. Uh, you know, <laughs> it was a water heater I def- day. <laughs> I, de- I definitely need to be at work today and uh, make some money yeah. for uh, you know the water heater that goes out. You know, but you know, ah. luckily, you know, Judah, it's the first time in the house that we have. Uh, you know, we bought the house when it was brand new, so no one had it. But it's been over. It's been ten years, so yeah. it's about that time to get it replaced. Just you know, it sucks not having hot water. And then when you know, when your wife looks at you, you're like, hey. We need this problem fixed now. <laughs> uh, okay, well, we're on it. And, it's a good uh, look, right? Yeah, yeah. So we had to do that. And uh, before that, you know, we had to go to the doctor with the little one. He's been a little sick. So, uh, oh, man. It's been an adventure. But, dude, I tell you what, he's doing better. Okay. I'm doing better. The hot water's doing better. The Vaughn family household is now just put together by duct tape. But it's it's ready to go, and we're ready to live. Well, you know, this is what we need. We need you uh, with that extra edge, that extra motivation, now you're seeing the board, you're seeing the lines as good as you've ever seen them, right? Oh, I'm motivated. I'm motivated to win this NCAA tournament with <laughs> some money. Some so uh, if anybody has some bracket pools they want oh. me to join, just uh, DM me on Twitter and I'll join your bracket pool so I can uh, win and get some more money. Uh, Steven needs to win himself a water heater <laughs> with a couple of, with a couple of winners over conference tournament week. Uh, 503-417-7575. That's the phone number if you want to slide on in and have some sports conversation on uh, on this Thursday. Again, John Gonzalo will join us live from Vegas in the five o'clock hour. There is a lot to get to on the docket today. At uh, it's a, a fast moving day in the world of sports. Uh, Geno Smith had his introductory press conference, fresh off his new uh, contract, signed with the Seahawks, and Pete Carroll, John Schneider next to him, three years, one hundred five million. We've since found out that it's 
laden with incentives, and uh, Gino wanted it that way. He wanted an opportunity to bet on himself again in order to get the most out of this new deal uh, that he's got with the Seahawks. So we'll reset some sound from that. thought it was pretty interesting, some of the things that Pete and John said about Gino in the uh, press conference earlier today up in Seattle. And as a Seahawks fan myself, I'm excited to have Gino. Obviously, it's a feel-good story, but it is more than that. The guy showed that he is more talented than we gave him credit for. He's more of a leader than we gave him credit for. And if you are 32 years old and were a backup for five, six, seven years, it doesn't mean your career's over. You can still go get yourself $100 million if you stick with it, if you keep believing, and you keep balling out the way that he did. Am I interested to see how year two with Geno Smith goes in Seattle as a full-fledged starting quarterback? Yeah, of course I'm interested. Defenses adjust, especially over the course of an entire offseason. They've got all the tape they want on what Geno Smith does well, what he does poorly, and they're going to adjust to him and to his skill set. But I've got all the faith in the world that uh, he's still going to perform at a high level, maybe not an elite level. I don't think Geno Smith is an elite quarterback in this league, but I think he's a very good quarterback, and there are going to be other parts of the team that have to improve around him, most notably on the defensive side of the ball. And within that, the run defense for the Seahawks has to pick up. It was not great last year, though they went to the postseason. And also the running game. That really picked up some steam with uh, with Kenneth Walker the third, Rashad Penny before he got hurt before that. It was a really good running game all season long, but it has to get even better with Geno coming back into the fold for the Seahawks. I'm excited. I think the Seahawks are in good hands. I still wonder, similar to the Trailblazers, about the future of the franchise and its ownership and the inevitable liquidation of assets in the Paul G. Allen Trust and what Jody is going to do with it. And, of course, here in Portland, we're always wondering how this will intersect in the world of Phil Knight and will he eventually, ultimately, have his desires realized to become the new owner of the Portland Trailblazers. And similarly, I don't think uh, Uncle Phil's got any Seahawks interest, but who does? I do wonder who could be the next out-and-out owner of the Seattle Seahawks when they ultimately uh, get sold and when the when the liquidation of assets is realized in the Paul G. Allen Trust. Now, that's going to be a few years in all likelihood. Seems like Jody Allen is going to want to slow play this all the way to the end and squeeze all the juice from the lemon. I guess you can't blame her, but ultimately as a fan of both the Seahawks and the Trailblazers, I hope that uh, each franchise lands in the right hands, and from a Blazer standpoint, hard to envision any hands better than that of Phil Knight. As for the Seahawks, don't know. Don't know who that might be. Um, I know uh, Jeff Bezos' name is always tossed around in potential ownership with NFL franchises, most recently interest in the Washington Commanders, but Daniel Snyder trying his best to Heisman pose Jeff Bezos off the stage and not have him have any part of a potential commander's purchase. It's always fun when billionaires are fighting with one another. 503-417-7575. Steven, I'll loop you back in here as well. Uh, Blazers speaking of on the East Coast, continuing that road trip. They were in Boston yesterday. You said uh, during the show... This is not going to go well for the Blazers. I think the spread was about 10, maybe. Yeah, money was coming in on Portland it's late, right? It's not down to nine and a half, yeah. 
Well, they didn't cover. They, they didn't cover the number, and uh, Boston wins going away comfortably. Yusuf Nurkic, though, did come back in this game. He plays uh, for, what, less than 20 minutes, I think about 17 minutes of action, after missing 14 games with a calf strain. Two points, two boards, uh, or excuse me, six boards and two assists. What would you make overall of uh, Yusuf's return to the court? Yeah, I, I didn't think Nurk looked, you know, he looked rusty, right? I think that's the easiest way to put it. He just looked rusty. I don't know that it's that he's not ready to be back out there, but uh, he definitely looked like he hadn't played in 14 games. And then that and it showed on the court, you know, he so relied on their defense. And I told you this, Judah, like, he's a good defender, but they rely so much on him that it's going to be troublesome. So coming off of this calf injury, like, you shouldn't expect him to be great in game one. Now, yeah. it's, I think it's a good sign that he's back. Uh, you know, just being so big and have him having some injury problems in the past throughout his career, it's nice to see Nurk back and playing again. But it was very expected for me to see, you know, Boston come back home, come off a couple of tough losses where, you know, they should have won a couple of games. They didn't come in and just kind of dominate the Blazers when the Blazers aren't at full strength yet, even with Nurk coming back. But, you know, it's just one of those things where Dame was so good again offensively. He turned the ball over a lot, but he just doesn't have much help. And mm. you, if you watch the defense, Boston is one of the best defenses in the league, maybe the best defense in the NBA. You watch them. They had four or five guys watching Dame every single play. And that's what always happens in the playoffs is these good teams know, hey, you know what? We're going to get the ball out of Damian Lillard's hands and let other guys beat us, and this just can't happen. So, you know, it, it's just another – it's reason number 5,000 on why the Blazers <laughs> aren't ready to contend – like, this roster is not good enough, and Dame is – he's so good and so efficient that, like, defenses throw the entire kitchen sink at him, but he can't get any help around him. So it, it was very uh, – you know, I thought this would happen, and it did. Uh, but, you know, again, not expe- – it wasn't It wasn't like it was a big, um, a big letdown because it's a game against Boston you're probably supposed to lose. If you can get a couple more on this road trip, that's okay, but you, you're right where you think you should be. Mm. Uh compete for that playing spot, but it wasn't a surprise. I saw a photo floating around Twitter where it was Dame was like surrounded by four Boston Celtics players and just looking oh, yeah. for a best, looking for a player to pass the ball to. And someone quote tweeted it and was like, yeah, this pretty much sums up Damian Lillard's Portland career. Now, I think on that play, though, he did it did lead to a wide-open three that they made. But it goes <laughs> that, that, the, no one the, wants to know that. No, though. the statement stands true. Like, yeah. That is how it is, and that's how good teams guard Damian Lillard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it's still amazing to me that so many years after this Pelicans sweep, when the Blazers got swept by the Pelicans and they just trapped Dame, got the ball out of his hand, that the Blazers still haven't figured out a way to uh, go against that trap. Like, that, that's yeah. still amazing to me. It shouldn't be that hard, and it still is. You know, the Blazers, is, the, the roster's not good enough, even when they're fully healthy. And I think that was on display. When they play the really good teams, you can really tell the talent level just is not there for the Trailblazers. Well, whether or not it's good enough, though, to get into the play-in, that was the question I posed to you yesterday. And uh, with Yusuf Nurkic's return on the forefront, how important is that going to be? But I asked you, I said, hey, even if Nurk returns and plays every game the rest of the way, call it right now. Do you think the Blazers make the play-in tournament? They only have to make up, like, what, a game and a half, two games to, to get in that thing? We're talking about the top 10 seeds in the Western Conference. Should it be that hard? But you're still pretty definitive. That's going to be a negative. Yeah, I, I just don't see it. I think right now the Blazers, talent-wise, roster-wise, they are 11th or 12th in the Western Conference. Like, I don't think they're a top 10 team in the West. It's just pretty crazy to think. Like, last season, they were trying to lose Judah. They had 27 wins. 
this year they've been trying to win all season. They're 31 and 35 with 16 games left. Like they could have maybe 10 more victories than they did a season ago. And they were trying to lose last season this year. They're trying to win. So I think that just kind of tells you all you need to know about where this team is. And it might be beneficial to, at this point. I, I, you know, I don't want to say tanking is the best way to go and it's going to give you a guarantee. I just don't see what not. benefit tanking gives you anymore. You're not going to catch anybody in the top three of the lottery right now. But but it's more of a chance if you're to lose now and you get to that 13 spot in the Western Conference below the Thunder. You're the third worst seed in the West rather than you know, you're the nine seed and you just missed out in the playoffs. Mathematically, virtu- mathematically, mathematically no yes. At what cost, though? What are the other costs? The Damian Lillard cost. Either A, pissed him off, or B, sitting him down again? That can't be what he wants. I That's the thing. Like, I I don't know what you do because you're right. Dame's not going to want to sit out. And I don't know that it really matters, though, Judah. I just don't know if this team is good enough yeah. to, around him. He can go off for 40 points, and he's still going to lose the ball game. Well, look, but, but they're not going to do anything special this year. No, but they're not going to go out of their way to lose. They they can't. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to go out of their way there to lose. And even if they make the play, and they're not doing anything special. It would be, you know, we'd throw a lot of parades in Portland for a lot of different things. I say if they make the playoffs, if they get if they get into the play-in and then win a play-in uh, series, let's throw a damn parade. <laughs> let's have some fun on Broadway. It would be a miracle, a big I will deal. say. <laughs> it would be a miracle if this team actually made the playoffs. Those are where my expectations are. Do you agree with that? 503-417-7575. If they don't make the playoffs, whatever. Who cares? We know this team isn't that special anyway. But I got to say, man, I'd be disappointed if they folded up shop. I don't want to see that again. I don't want to feel that again with this team. I need them to continue to gut it out and to continue to compete. I don't know exactly what their schedule looks like over the last, what are we talking now, Steven? Like 15, 16 16 games? games, I know they got uh, Philly tomorrow. I know they got New Orleans and CJ and no Zion to round out this road trip. I know they come back home after that. I know Boston is going to be back at Moda Center. So you got to face those guys again coming up in uh, a week or so. And it's, a, it's a brutal schedule, if it's, I'm yeah. honest. It's a brutal schedule. Lay it out for me. What do you see? Because so we're at the point now, 16 games, you can actually you can actually think about who yeah. else you got on this thing. I mean, we're coming down to it. In the, in the next 16 games, which is the last of the season, I'm looking at it. There's three teams that probably aren't going to make the play-in or the playoff. All right. And that's the Jazz who still could make the play-in, um, the Thunder right there, and then the where am I? The Spurs. They play the, the Spurs, Spurs as well. Yeah. Okay. Like, they got to beat the Bulls, Spurs. But they play the Knicks, the Celtics. Should beat the Bulls. The Kings twice, who are a really good team. Turns the out the Kings know how to play basketball, amazingly. Clippers twice, Warriors. Like, this is not an easy schedule. Yeah. And they play the Pelicans twice, like you said, 76ers, Knicks, Celtics again. Like, it's just not an easy schedule for the Trailblazers. I think if they went 500 in that schedule, yeah. it would be a miracle. They and have that's to what reiterate. They have to be. Yeah, they have to reiterate themselves now. Like there, there has to be a new version of the Blazers over the last 16 games that we have yet to see or we have not seen in a while this season in order for them to get to that point. I, I don't think it's impossible. You know, if you if you consider like just remember for a brief moment how this season started. <laughs> It seems like it was is so there long ago. Any way? Is there any way they can rechannel some of that? I mean, if they can, I mean, they need Ann Fernie to to be available, playing and healthy and performing. They need Dame to remain Dame, and they need Nurk to become a healthy, consistent Nurk over the last you know stretch of the season here. Yeah. Not likely. None of that is likely. But I couldn't say it's impossible either. None of it's likely, and 
you know, I know Josh Hart didn't put up great numbers, but he was very right. important to the team. I th- they've gotten worse since the trade deadline. Cam Reddish has put up some solid numbers, but he's just not a very good NBA player at this point in his career. Um, Second best blazer on the team. That's what, uh, Cam jo- Reddish. Jokingly tweeted that yesterday. I saw uh, that. Matisse Thibel, like I think he, I hearted it. <laughs> Matisse Thibel is fine, <laughs> uh, but again, he's he he fell out of the rotation yeah. in Philadelphia. Drew Eubanks isn't a rotational player in the NBA. Like they just are playing too many guys that shouldn't really be playing. And when you rely on those guys, especially Thibel and Reddish, like they're starting, and you need big things out of those two guys. I think it's tough to you know go on this type of run. What do you want to see out of the Trailblazers down the stretch? Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. You can tweet at Judanubi at seven fifty the game. When we come back, is Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets? I think he is, and I'll tell you what that means. That's next right here on the Bold Face Truth. Newby and for Cazano, be here. John Cazano will come on the show live from Vegas following the conclusion of Oregon and Washington State in the Pac-12 tournament quarterfinal. You don't want to miss that, so stick around for that. This is the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the Bold Face Truth. Junior Newby in for John Cazano. John will join the show live in the 5 o'clock hour from Vegas after the conclusion of Ducks Cougs. So you don't want to miss that. We'll pick his brain uh, on this game. And Oregon looks good early. So if they can keep up that momentum, they could have a date with UCLA tomorrow night in the uh, Pac-12 tournament semifinals. By the way, you can hear the Pac-12 tournament semifinals from Westwood 1 Right here on 750 The Game, the Bald Face Truth Radio Network flagship and streaming at 750thegame.com tomorrow night, 6 o'clock and 8.30. And uh, hopefully we'll get a little duck flavor in there as uh, they could take on the uh, UCLA Bruins, the top seed, if Oregon is able to beat Washington State in the quarterfinal today. And uh, John Cazano will join us after the conclusion of Ducks and Kooks. Well, if I say the name Aaron Rodgers, I know uh, a lot of people will get a little uh, bit of throw up in the back of their throat. And I get that. I understand that. Stephen Vaughn's over there. He's one of those people. Uh, he, he said when we were bringing up the topic earlier this week of uh, what topics are you fatigued with, was it you that brought up Aaron Rodgers? That's one of them for you. <laughs> If I didn't, I definitely should have because that's uh, definitely one of them that I am. So, and I totally get that. I understand that. And I, I am kind of tired of the natural conversation, the natural debate about Aaron Rodgers and his personality quirks and all of that. Like, to me, that's not all that interesting. The football part is interesting to me. I still think the guy is really, really good and really talented. And uh, whatever regression may have occurred last year, I think is marginal and not substantial. And therefore, if he ends up on a roster that is built to win and you plug in Aaron Rodgers, I think you have to take it seriously. And with that in mind, it looks like Jets' Aaron Rodgers' marriage is imminent. Woody Johnson, the Jets' owner, met with Aaron Rodgers. A large contingent of the New York Jets met with Aaron Rodgers in California on Tuesday, including Joe Douglas, the general manager, Robert Sala, the head coach, and uh, Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive coordinator, who is good friends with Rodgers, uh, or at least they have good chemistry from Hackett's time in Green Bay uh, under Matt LaFleur when Rodgers obviously was playing there as well. Rodgers still is playing there 
uh, for the moment as well. But when there's smoke, there's fire. And I think the fire is Rodgers is going to go the way of the Favre, which is a trade to the New York Jets. That's amazing to me. The concept is amazing to me. The fact that we are here at this point of Aaron Rodgers' career after 18 seasons in one place. We talked about Jim Beheim stepping away from Syracuse yesterday after 47 seasons as head coach. And I said, you should never be at a place 47 years. Uh, that's that's just too long in one, one spot. I think the equivalent could be true of an NFL quarterback spending 18 years in one place. Now, of course, he didn't start right from jump. He waited behind Brett for about three years before Brett's trade to gang green, ushering in the Rogers era in the fall of 2008, if memory serves, but still, nevertheless, some guys you just think are going to play all their careers in one spot. Aaron Rodgers, up until a couple of years ago, I thought was one of those guys. And then I thought for sure he was going to stay in Green Bay after he wins back-to-back MVPs, 2020 and 2021. The dude can still spin it. The dude can still absolutely kill you. The dude can eviscerate you with a fourth-quarter comeback. He is that guy still, in my opinion. And if you look at the New York Jets roster, they're loaded. That's a really good football team roster outside of the quarterback position. You plug in a guy that's won two MVPs in the last three years, a guy whose receiving core was clearly lagging last year outside of a late emergence of a rookie in Christian Watson and some good moments from Romeo Dobbs to a New York Jets receiving core that's got the likes of, oh, I don't know, Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, uh, some outstanding pass catchers, Uzama over there at the tight end position, and an offensive line and a run game that is just about as good as, as anywhere that you could find. Of course, Brees Hall would have won Rookie of the Year last year had he not gotten hurt. So he has to come back and come back healthy and look good. But even without Brees Hall, they've got dudes that can run the rock behind him. Um, Michael Carter there. Uh, They traded for James Robinson from Jacksonville last year as well. Like, they've got some sneaky dudes that that you don't think of. Oh, and by the way, the system in New York, fairly, uh, fairly similar to what he's coming from in Green Bay. It was already similar because the previous offensive coordinator with the Jets also had the last name of LaFleur. It was Matt LaFleur's little brother, Mike LaFleur. Now, Mike LaFleur left, and he took another job, but Nathaniel Hackett is still within that similar vein. I mean, obviously, he was there with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay with Matt LaFleur, and he knows exactly the strengths and weaknesses of that system as it relates to number 12. Look, people are tired of Rodgers. I get it. Everything that comes with him, I get it. I don't mind him as much, even on a personal level. Like, I... I find him more on the interesting side of things than on the repulsive side of things. I'm in the minority on that, I believe. That's what I'm gathering. That's what I'm feeling. I like his appearances on McAfee. I don't agree with everything he says, obviously. But I do find him interesting. I do find him compelling. I find the relationship that he has with McAfee, the relationship he has with others, is interesting. And in this day and age, in this world of sports media, this world of media in general, things that are truly interesting are valuable to me. And I think Aaron Rodgers is interesting. I don't think he's repulsive. But again, I think I'm in the minority on that. But his fit in New York with the Jets, 
to me, it puts the Jets at the top of the AFC East. That's how much and how highly I think of him. I have questions about the Miami Dolphins. And I certainly have questions about the next steps for the Buffalo Bills. You put Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay with, or excuse me, with with New York, with that team and that roster and that trajectory, they win the division. That's my prediction. That's my call. Should a trade happen to Rodgers and the New York Jets? How far off uh, of reality do you think that is, Stephen? I think you're actually right on. Uh, I think the Jets are really good. Number one defense in the AFC a season ago, yards per game given up. 10th in rushing rushing yards per play so is it not like you know top, not terrible but not the best but no, uh top 5 in pass yards given up a game as well like that defense is legit good sauce gardner ranks out as maybe the best cornerback in the NFL already and he was just a rookie this past season um you know they they got dudes they got dudes on that side of the ball so it's like i agree with you that rogers is very interesting but if he, the jets might be the best situation i didn't think he'd go to the jets just because of the whole farv thing but if he does go to New York, like he doesn't have to be MVP Rodgers. He really doesn't. He just has to be a good version or even last season's Rodgers to have the Jets really compete for that AFC East title. Because think about this, like that AFC East, that high-powered offense they had, the Bills and the Dolphins, like those are two of the better offenses in the league last year. The Jets had the number one defense in the AFC, and they faced them four times during the season. So this Jets defense is real. The offense just needs a quarterback that can facilitate facilitate some things because they got players on both sides of the ball. I, I don't think you're wrong. Like, if he goes to the Jets, they're one of the favorites in the AFC, in my opinion. And it would take Zach Wilson, Joe Flacco, Mike White off the board in terms of who's going to start at quarterback for that team next year. And uh, I know Jets fans are all for that. Even though Mike White, props to you, man. You balled out when you could uh, last season. 503-417-7575. Do you take the New York Jets seriously if they get Aaron Rodgers? That's the question I'm posing to you. You can call in there. You can tweet at 750 the game at Judah Newby as well. Spinning off of that, I know a lot of people don't like Rodgers, so I would ask, like, wh- who is a star player not named LeBron James, by the way? LeBron's not in this conversation. A star player that you love to hate. 503-417-7575. More bald face truth on the other side. Be here in the 5 o'clock hour. John Cazano joins the show live from Vegas after the conclusion of Oregon Wazoo right here on the bald face truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the show. Judah Newby in for John Canzano. John will join the show live from Vegas in the 5 o'clock hour. Don't miss that after the Ducks and the Cougs Pac-12 tournament quarterfinal goes final. JC will be on with us. Stick around for that. Make sure you don't uh, you don't miss it. I'll also get the latest on his thoughts on uh, media rights negotiations. Where is George Klyovkov? Where do we stand? What's going on? Uh, we'll we'll bounce that off John as well because more rumors, more reports today online, and Dennis Dodd saying his stuff for CBS and uh, whoever Brett Yormark, the Big Twelve Commissioner, has the ear of, uh, which is most people, I guess these days, they're putting out their content with whatever Brett is feeding to them. It's being spoon fed from Brett. Uh, he should start his own podcast like that. That that's my opinion, but. Uh, 
Man, he has it out for the Pac-12. I just laughed so hard. I laughed so hard when Gonzano and Wilner had Brett Yormark on their podcast two weeks ago. And John was, uh, John Gonzano, that is, was asking Brett Yormark, hey, what's up? What's up with this rivalry you have with the Pac-12? And he's like, hey, there's no rivalry here. I don't want to see anybody fail. That's not what this is about. We're just competing. And I just laughed my butt off here and that. I'm like, dude, this guy is so slimy. It's so funny. And uh, he's just trying to put this this face out there that, hey, he doesn't mean any harm. The back channeling that Brett Yormark is doing is uh, almost on Kevin Warren levels. That's That's how bad it is. But look, everyone's trying to do their job, I guess. But I tell you what, man, it is a cutthroat business out there. And as a fan of the Pac-12, I really hope George knows what the heck he's doing here. And it results in some good news. Oh, and by the way, it results in at least 10 schools in the Pac-10, Pac-10, Pac-12 conference, and hopefully 12 schools. Not 14. Not 14. Not interested. Not interested in Rice. Not interested in... Who was the other team we were going to add? Grand Canyon? Yeah. It was GCU, no. right? Dan Marley was coming. <laughs> Rice, and there was uh, you know Boise State, Fresno State. Get out of here. San Jose State. Uh, no. Get out, yeah. Oh, Colorado, Colorado State. State. That was <laughs> that was the 13th. That's the 13th team. Golly. I just what, it. Hey, think? I tell you what, though, Judah. What? Being home with the water heater guy, uh, I was watching the, uh, the future of the Pac-12. San Diego State versus Colorado State in the Mountain West Conference Tournament. I was watching that game with uh, big eyes open there. Yeah. How's the quality? Great. Pac-12 quality. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, not hard to do. Speaking of, give us an update. I know it's at halftime right now. Ducks and Cougars, how we looking? Yeah, Ducks ducks are up 38-30 at halftime. But Oregon was up, uh, I believe, by 19 points. And Washington State, it was about a 10-0 run to end the half. Got back in the game. Uh, Ducks were really good control of this ball game. Uh, right up until the last few minutes here, so it should be a good second half. But uh, I, you know, Oregon seems like they are the better team, or the more fresh team. We'll see if Washington State uh, can come out of the out of halftime with a little more energy, as they did play yesterday. I think I think that is underrated. Like we do just assume, oh, they'll be fine. No, they played yesterday. Like it's tough to come back back to back. But uh, the winner gets UCLA. Should be a good matchup. I uh, I called it the Ernie Kent Bowl or the Ernie Kent Showdown. Right? You yeah. got ducks and kooks. I look up on my TV and there's Ernie Kent. Ernie's in the house. Jordan is in the house. I mean, this is big stuff. Camp family all over the place, and we got Ducks Cougs. How good is that? That's wonderful. Uh, Ernie Camp, one of the nicest guys around. Jordan, too. Who's nicer? 503. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Cal does make a, a move at head coach. Mark Fox is out as head coach after four seasons. We knew that that was coming down the wire, so they did make that official earlier today. Uh, speaking of the Pac-12 tournament, I did see UCLA, Colorado earlier today. Close game, man. Close game throughout. Colorado, the nine seed. UCLA, the top seed. Pac-12 player of the year, Jaime Jaquez, was off today, man. He he could not buy a bucket. Of course, they're playing without the conference. Defensive player of the year in Jalen Clark. Torn Achilles, done for the season. Sucks for UCLA, for sure. They got tested in this game today, and it wasn't until like the last three minutes of regulation they really put their pedal to the metal and spun away and left the Buffaloes in their wake. It's one of those things with UCLA, like 
they never buckle under this type of pressure because they've been in so many close games. They've made Final Four runs. You know, they they lost to Gonzaga that year. They went to the national championship on the Jalen Suggs buzzer beater, and a lot we'll of those guys are back. Forget that game. Yeah, the, 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 the you know the bubble NCAA tournament. Just, yeah. we all needed something good, and we got it there. But uh, yeah, I mean they're they're a good team that has been through a lot of wars on the basketball court, and so. That kind of stuff, you know, Tad Boyle, one of the better coaches in the Pac-12, he always gets those teams ready. We talked about Dana Altman in the tournament. I think Tad Boyle is another good Pac-12 tournament coach. He got those guys ready, but UCLA, the talent just, uh, you know, got them over the edge at the end of the game. I think it's going to take a few games to, uh, you know, adjust without Jalen Clark because he did a lot for them defensively. And you just hope, if you're a Pac-12, you're a UCLA fan, that they figure it out by the NCAA tournament because he was a very important piece of that team. And with him out, man, I, I don't know how you can you – can't, you just can't replace the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. It's just impossible. What did you say earlier this week was the best-case scenario for the conference um, in I, terms of who win, who wins the Pac-12 tournament? What what does the Pac-12 want? I, I think it is for UCLA to win the Pac-12 tournament. And that way they get a one seed. I think they'll get a one seed if they win the tournament still because it proves that they can win without Jalen Clark, and they're probably going to have to go up against Arizona um, to do that. So it would be another quality win for UCLA. And I think that's what you want. You want to have it you know, out in the western region. You want to have a Pac-12 team. But I also said Arizona State winning tonight. Uh, they play USC because I think, I think USC's in the tournament even with a loss. It's going to be close. You'll be sweating out. But Arizona State, they're probably out right now. And I think if they can get a win over USC – I would put him in. Maybe that's my Pac-12 homer showing. But I think Arizona You're a Pac-12 State, homer? I am. Uh, when it, college basketball, college football, yeah. When it comes to the nation, I I, I do. I, I I do. I don't know. I don't know why. I, don't I, like was, I will say I was surprised the spread was as uh, close as it was. Yeah, Arizona, it's only four for USC-ASU. USC laid four. But, yeah, I think if hmm. uh, if Arizona State can win tonight over USC, Arizona State could be into the into the bubble with a couple bubble teams losing today. Uh, Michigan lost to Rutgers. Wisconsin lost Ohio State. Those are a couple teams. North Carolina plays Virginia tonight. If you're an Arizona State fan, you want Virginia to beat North Carolina. I think there's a path if Arizona State can get that dub tonight that they can sneak into the tournament. Carolina could be the first team ever to be the preseason AP number one team in the country and not make the tournament. Another bubble team right now. These guys played in the national title game last year. They got lucky. They're, they missed Brady Manning. But another bubble team, Nevada. They were uh, Lenardi's last team in. Right now they're down by 10 to, to San Jose State. Uh, so okay. uh, another bubble team that could get an L here. So Arizona State, they got a real shot here tonight to get in the tournament, I think, if they could beat USC. Well, we'll check in with John Canzano live from Vegas in the 5 o'clock hour after this Ducks-Cougs game goes final. Currently 38-30. Oregon in front of Washington State. If they pull that one off and finish uh, finish the deal, they will take on UCLA tomorrow night in the uh, semifinals as well. Is it Arizona-Stanford tonight? Uh, yeah, Arizona-Stanford's up next. And then, and I, then USC-Arizona State. And the nightcap, yeah. All right. We got ourselves a good one. Pac-12 tournament is off and running. Presented by Tums, by the way, in case you didn't see that. Presented by Tums. At least on the Pac-12 network. I think Bill Walton like devoured a bottle of Tums on the broadcast yesterday. Makes sense.
Yeah, just another day in the life. But we we all we've all had that moment at the Pac-12, whether it's you know in football with the Pac-12 officials, like or, in, <laughs> or basketball with the Pac-12 officials, like you need some tums. Like I don't think that's what the conference was going for with the sponsorship, but they nailed it. But yeah, you can't say I'm wrong. That's You're not, not wrong at all. It's not a wrong. Statement. First thing I thought of. So the Pac-12 officiating, Pac-12 after dark is, oh my gosh, give me the Tums, man. It's the only way I could get through this Washington State-Cal football game. Now, did you take, uh, you mentioned that football game, but yeah. uh, did you, what what side of Wazoo did you get against Oregon today? Did you go money line or did you take the two and a half? Uh, I got a little bit of both, uh, but yeah, not not feeling great about it right All now. All right, well, uh, at least it's not down <laughs> by 20. <laughs> that 10-0 like run really, uh, yeah. <laughs> really helped me out there. <laughs> 503-417-7575. Our big splash is coming up next. It's an interesting one. We'll dig into that as well. John Cazano slides in in the 5 o'clock hour from Vegas right here on the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. John Canzano will join the show in the 5 o'clock hour live from Vegas, so be here for that. Judah Newby in for John Canzano today on the Bald Face Truth. Stephen Vaughn in the house as well. We'll get to the uh, big splash here in a moment. I got the pick of the litter with what to include in the big splash today. I could go with Fred Van Vliet giving us the most epic, loquacious, beautiful post-game press conference you could ask for. Uh, I won't go with that, but we will get to that. You better believe it. I could go the way of the uh, Texans losing a draft pick and fined for cap violation, and their reason for it was we were paying for Deshaun Watson to work out at a facility that's not the Houston Texans facility during COVID, and uh, that still was not good enough. They're getting fined, and they're going to lose a draft pick for that as well. A lot of different things to choose from, but uh, let's fire away with today's Big Splash. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Sean Kemp. If you had that on your bingo card, you're welcome. Let's flesh out that bingo card. If you had Sean Kemp getting arrested in a drive-by shooting in the state of Washington and uh, not charged, if you had all that on your bingo card, you are you're a winner. Congratulations. It's uh, kind of breaking this afternoon, but no charges are immediately being filed against former NBA All-Star, of course, former Portland Trailblazer and legendary Seattle Supersonic Sean Kemp following his arrest in a drive-by shooting in Washington State. I saw the uh, Tacoma Police Department tweeted out the, the initial arrest, and they didn't name Sean Kemp by name, but then, of course, Woj quote tweeted it when he got confirmation and uh, checked out the name's in the the booking of the uh, Tacoma uh, jail, and it was 53-year-old Sean Kemp. He was booked for investigation of felony drive-by shooting shortly before 6 p.m. local time Wednesday in Tacoma. No one was injured in the shooting. Now, a spokesperson for the Pierce County Prosecutor's Office 
said in his statement that no charges were immediately being filed against Sean Kemp, but he was being released from jail pending further investigation. Here's what happened. Tacoma police said an altercation between occupants of two vehicles near the Tacoma Mall led to shots being fired early Wednesday afternoon. No injuries were reported. One of the cars fled the scene, according to the police department on social media. A gun was recovered. Kemp's attorney told Adrian Wojnarowski that Sean Kemp's car was broken into and numerous items, including an iPhone, were stolen. Kemp tracked his iPhone to an occupied car, and he was shot at when he approached the vehicle. Kemp then returned fire in self-defense. Sean Kemp has two licensed cannabis stores in Seattle. He's a six-time NBA All-Star, played for the Seattle Supersonics from 89 to 97, also played for Cleveland, forgot about that, Portland, did not forget about that, and Orlando, kind of forgot about that. But uh, Sean Kemp not being charged immediately. I tell you what, Stephen, when I saw Sean Kemp booked, I, I did think, you know, of uh, that it was not going to go well for him. Relieved today to see that he's not being charged with anything, and Unfortunate that uh, his stuff was stolen and he was not the one that fired first. He was being shot at and then shot back in self-defense. Frankly, pretty scary. Yeah, uh, crazy story. And it makes a lot of sense when you really think about it because, like you said, he has the couple mar- uh, marijuana stores up in Washington. Yeah. L- cash business, right? A lot of cash, a lot of stuff. So people are Ooh. always trying to look for that kind of stuff, mm. uh, look to get a quick robbery in. Steal, you know, just get that steel stuff, and uh, I guess you know, find your iPhone app really paid off for him. But yeah, yeah, scary situation there. Uh, you know, just approach it and then uh, get shot at. So glad to hear nobody got hurt. Uh, glad to hear Sean Kemp didn't get or you know isn't being um, you know charged yeah. with anything. And uh, hopefully everything gets solved and uh, everything's good to go. Oof, because, yeah, yeah, I mean it's uh, you know f- for all the things you know you don't want bad things to happen to these people no matter what it is. So uh, yeah, just man. it's unfortunate, but yeah, good good that nothing bad has really happened out of it. Sean Kemp, man. Sean Kemp. When was he here? From, uh, it was at what? It was, was it around 2000 or so? I, he wasn't on the Western Conference final team. I know that. He, he was a little bit after that, right? Uh, so he came into Portland and it was, uh, 2000, 2001 was his first year and then finished it out with 2001, 2002. So two seasons here. Okay. So he was right after the Western Conference finals run then, uh, against the Lakers at least. And uh, joined in the 2000-2001 season. All right, yeah. He, uh, <laughs> I mean, I always root for all the Trailblazers, of course. But he has a he has an interesting Trailblazers legacy himself. Uh, yeah, he came 2000, left in 02, and then finished up with Orlando. To your point, in the 2002 season. Who are some other of those uh, old Blazers that were here for just a year or two that you either remember fondly? Less fondly or hardly at all? Um, well, let's see here. I'll, let me, let me go. I, I'll, I'll buy you some time. I know uh, one of my favorites, I mean, and this is everybody's favorite. Um, I went to Worlds of Sport. That was John Kidzano's big event that he put on at the uh, Oregon Convention Center last year. And everybody was around there and uh JC's parents were came by and they had a little booth they were selling some stuff just uh some some cool stuff i know john's dad collects a bunch of cool stuff 
and I swung by his booth, and we were just chatting. We were t- I was learning all sorts of good details about John Gonzano and uh, great blackmail material that I'm, I'm going to use at some point. And, uh, but I did notice one of the things John's dad was selling at his booth was this little uh, Trailblazers kind of doll figure, like this, you know, like a uh, kind of like a Beanie Baby type thing. And the guy was wearing jersey number 44. So immediately in my head, I was like, dude, that is a sweet Brian Grant uh, little, you know, Trailblazers doll. And, but the guy had no hair. He had no hair. And I'm like, that's not the Rasta monster that I know. And so I'm like, who is that? And I look at the back of the doll. You better believe yourself. The last name says it all. Boomche Boomche. Ruben Boomche Boomche. And I was like, I have to have that doll. Favorite name in sports. Ruben Boomche Boomche. One of the best sports names of all time. And uh, I was like, I just told John's dad, I said, hey, I got to have this. You know, can I buy it? And he's like, don't buy it. Just take it. <laughs> so I, I have it in my room somewhere now. And I think uh, I think my 18-month-old baby girl is getting a kick out of it. But little does she know, that is the legendary Ruben Boomche Boomche, an all-time favorite forgotten trailblazer. Now, she's going to grow up to think Ruben Boomche Boomche was great, which is which is awesome. It's also accurate. It's he good. was great. He was. Uh, also, 44 years old now. Also got the ball thrown at him from across the court by Rasheed Wallace, if I remember correctly. You know what? That's how you know you're a good teammate. You haven't made it until Sheed has thrown something at you. That's what I've also learned. A guy that I loved uh, for the Blazers, Jimmy Jackson. Remember Jimmy Jackson was on Absolutely. the Blazers for a while here? Jimmy uh, Jackson, I, a great I, analyst now. Great analyst now. I love him. Uh, he was always a fun player. Yeah. Steve Kerr was always a good player. Steve Kerr, that's sneaky. Because How long was Steve here? One year? Yeah, it had to have been, yeah. But he, he, was he has some hilarious stories of when he was here, though. Yeah. Steve yeah. Kerr is he a great Portland. storyteller. Yeah. I said this on Twitter earlier, but I miss Steve Kerr, the analyst. There's uh, some great social media accounts and follows like NBA cobwebs and things like that. And, um, you know, somebody was tweeting out old school, you know, playoff series. And Steve Kerr was an analyst on TNT with Marv Albert. I think it was an all-star game that they were doing. And Steve was really good as an analyst. And when he got back into coaching, that was a loss for the TV world. Um, But I thought he was an excellent analyst. He's a great storyteller. Uh, at some point, I got to track down that audio again of, of some of Steve's stories of playing in Portland. Because I think he was only here one year, maybe longer, but I don't think that much longer. And But it was the peak of Portland. But it was great jailblazer. You know, it was the peak peak era of the jailblazers. So uh, we can claim Steve for our own. There's one hour in the books. You're welcome. Right here on the Bald Face Truth. Be here. Five o'clock hour. John Cazano live from Vegas checks in. Newbie in for Cazano on the Bald Face Truth. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald-faced truth. Cougs making this uh, an uncomfortable game for Oregon. Oh, boy. John Kizano will join the show live from Vegas in the 5 o'clock hour when Ducks-Cooks goes final. So don't miss that. There will be so much to unpack from it and a thought or two on uh, Meteorite's latest. JC will be here in about an hour or so on the Bald Face Truth. Junior will be in for John Kizano, Stephen Vaughn in the house as well, and you at 503-417-7575. 
Later in the show, we'll uh, get some Geno Smith audio. He was officially uh, introduced, reintroduced after signing his three-year deal with the Seahawks. We'll get some punching audio in as well along the way. On Twitter, at Giordanubi, at 750thegame, we also threw out what's a uh, an old-time Blazer or a former Blazer who was here for a whisper, here for a breath, that you remember fondly or that you remember not so fondly? You can tweet at Giordanubi and uh, call at 503-417-7575. David's on Twitter, says... Raymond Felton, go time in the Pearl District. <laughs> Sounds about right that's for a, Ray. That's always the good the good go-to right there. That's a good one. Gary Payton the second kind of falls into that, too, nowadays. That's so freaking disappointing. I was really excited for Gary Payton the second. That's, that sucked. And uh, I'm still kind of pissed at GP2, and I think uh, everybody here is going to be. For for a long time, if if uh, if not always. I mean, come on, man. I remember covering an event at Motor Center. It was what they called it, like the Big West Classic or the Far West Classic a few years ago. It was the Beavers and a bunch of other teams. And uh, GP2 was obviously with Oregon State at the time following, you know, the Glove Senior in his footsteps. And he was awesome playing uh, for the Beavs at Motor Center. And I, I loved catching up with him, interviewing him after the games at Motor Center and getting to know GP2 a little bit. Um, obviously, his Beaver career culminated with the Beavs getting a seventh seed and an at-large selection in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they lost to, what, 10-seed VCU, I believe. Yep. Mo Cox. Mo Cox, yeah. But that was the year yep. uh, Trace, Trace Tinkle got hurt, though, too. Yes. And that really hurt him because, you know. That was it. With, with Tinkle and Stevie Thompson and GP2, Drew Eubanks as well. That, that was a solid yeah. team. And then we had GP2 and Eubanks on the same team for uh, for a breath, for a whisper, and it wasn't to be realized. And that's still, I still don't entirely have clarity on what the hell happened. Do you? With GP2? I mean, I, I've heard things. I've heard some things. I've heard some things that he uh, just wasn't uh wasn't really all about the team I, my was, wife works really in, in pharmacy and i'm just asking her every day what's what's toward all she's like why <laughs> and uh because that's part of it too right yeah was it injected was it oral i don't know i don't know man and like the slander on the blazers you know training staff i know nobody's perfect and uh Training staffs are what they are, and look, some are better than others. That's a legit thing. But, I mean, the way Damian Lillard came to the defense of the training staff with the Blazers made me think that GP2 is barking up the wrong tree or whoever, you know, his agents are barking up the wrong tree. I mean, there was numerous stories about how the players and the staff just weren't getting along with GP2, and they weren't just on the same page. And so I think a lot of it has to do with just miscommunication. Maybe GP2 wasn't communicating very well with the Blazers, or the staff, but it wasn't just the staff. It was the players as well. Like, they thought he should have been out there. They thought he should have been playing, and he wasn't playing. So, I think He that, didn't want to be here. I just I, don't I, that, fully understand the concept of signing in free agency with the team, not wanting to be there, not being a star player. And normally we associate a player's league and leverage with star players. He just decides he doesn't want to be here, and therefore he's going to act like a freaking wuss? And that's what it kind of... My conclusion is, is he didn't want to be in Portland, but Golden State couldn't offer him the money that Portland was. 
And so for a guy like GP2 who had fought so hard to get to the NBA and get that contract, he wanted to get that one big payday. Portland was willing to give it to him, and then they had they had to wait till Golden State could shed some salary to trade for him back. And I think that's kind of what happened. That was kind of the plan going in, and yeah. it worked out perfectly for Golden State and GP2. So, he got back to Golden State. Golden State got him back for the contract that they wanted to give him. They just couldn't do it in the offseason. Bob Myers complaining, you know, and I like Bob Myers in a lot of ways, but complaining this, that, and whatever. Blazers, you know, they pulled one over on us, you know, about GP2's health. Frankly, I don't even believe him that uh, that he feels like he had the wool, wool pulled over his eyes. But we've got a legit, like, feud going on, Warriors and Blazers. Obviously, the on-court rivalry with Steph and Dame, like, but it was kind of a, you know, like a, a rivalry built out of respect. But Myers, Cronin, whatever, I mean, this is a thing. Like, these, these clubs, these organizations, we don't like one another right about now. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if GP2... When he comes back to Portland, he just gets booed. And oh, it, had you, he has to get had booed. Had you have told me that when the Blazers signed him, no way would I have thought that right. because Oregon State guy, you know, Gary Payton playing up in Seattle, Northwest player, like played at Oregon State as well. Like he should have been by all accounts a fan favorite by the way he plays, uh, the way he acts, and it just did not work out that way. And it is disappointing because I was with yeah. you. I was excited for the signing. I thought he was going to be a great player here in Portland with a, as a fan favorite. Did not turn out that way, and so, uh, yeah, my son even said he will boo him if he's at that game. So <laughs> that's how much uh, Blazer fans hate him. Uh, 503-417-7575. I, uh, I can't blame your son for, for doing that, that's for sure. Um, we'll uh, get to some punching audio in a bit as well. I know we were talking about Fred Van Vliet, Stephen, but we pulled the audio, and then you had to go to work on it because the dude unloaded expletive after expletive, which is just hilarious. But I have to ask you, is it arable yet? It is arable. Okay. Um, I actually, you know, I double-checked it, too. I double-triple-checked it. Like, I went through it once, and I hear it, and I go through it, and make sure it sounds right. At the end, usually I'm fine with it, but I replayed the entire thing to make sure I didn't miss anything. Because Fred Van Vliet went on a rant, Judah, that normal fans go on. When we watch games and we see refs, <laughs> this is what we think, and this is what we say. And NBA players, NFL players, like, most professional players don't act this way, don't say these things. Fred Van Vliet went there. And he said it all, and it was it was great because that's how we all feel about referees. So the Raptors were in Los Angeles taking on the Clippers, and the Clippers won the game 108-100. to And uh, the Raptors were called for 23 fouls. Clippers had 31 free throw attempts compared to Toronto's 14. So a, a disparity of 15 free throw attempts between the Clippers and the Raptors. Van Vliet himself got a technical foul midway through the third quarter when the Clippers were up seven at the time. Uh, Toronto got within two later in the quarter, but then the Clippers got back up to a 12-point lead, and then they they didn't look back. And for Van Vliet, he has now eight technical fouls on the season. But this was Fred Van Vliet after the game going off on not just the officiating, but singling out one official in particular by name, and just taking him to task, which as a uh, you know, as an objective observer, just gave me all the laughs. Take a listen for yourself. I mean, I don't mind. I'll take a fine. I don't really care. I thought you know, um, Ben Taylor was f-ing terrible tonight. Um, I thought that on most nights, you know, a couple other you know out of the three, there's one or two that just f-ed the game up. You know, and it's it's, <laughs> it's been like that a couple couple games in a row. Um, Denver was tough, obviously. 
You come out tonight, you're competing pretty hard. The third quarter, I get a tech, changes the whole dynamic of the game, changes the whole flow of the game. And, um, you know, most of the refs are trying hard. I like a lot of the refs are trying hard. They're pretty fair. They communicate well. And then you got the other ones who just want to be and um, just kind of the game up. Nobody's coming to see that. They come to see the players. And um, I think we're losing a little bit of the fabric of what the NBA is and was. And um, it's been disappointing this season. Um, you can look up most of my texts this year have been with Ben Taylor officiating. So at a certain point as a player, you feel it's personal. And um, it's never a good place to be. That's not why we lost tonight. We got outplayed. Um, but it definitely makes it tougher to overcome. <laughs> I did not know that I needed... Fred Van Vliet versus Ben Taylor in my life, but I absolutely needed it, man. I absolutely needed it. Couple other, you know, out of the three, there's one or two that just f the game up. <laughs> ben Taylor was effing terrible. I look, dude. I'm not gonna hate on Fred Van Vliet for this. Is it completely accurate? Probably not. You know, it's a, it's an emotional thing. But I'm on the side of. NBA officials are are still sketchy as heck, to, in my opinion. Now, it's not Donaghy. I, I get it, right? But I do appreciate—it's a really, really hard job. And everybody that's ever been an official on any level, including myself, third and fourth grade girls rec basketball is intense, especially when you're a high school kid not knowing what he's doing. So, look, I, I've been there. But I think the accountability is, is good, and, um, you know— I don't want to see guys cursing out refs after the game all the time. But once a season for a rant like this to take place, I actually think is good for the game. Call me crazy. I do too. And I think you're crazy if you think that refs don't hold personal grudges against people. Like they are people as right. well. Right. And so, yeah. you know, for Fred VanVleet to say, you know, I think it's personal, it's probably true. Like, and no matter what it is, it's probably not even fair. Maybe it is fair, but. It is. It can be personal, and it's just unfortunate that it comes out the way. But, yeah, I mean, if I'm Fred Van Fleet and I've had that bottled up inside and he's giving me texts all the time, we're just coming off of a loss, we're competing for the playoffs, like, yeah, I'm going to blow up. And he said, you know what, I'm going to get a fine. I don't care. I'm going to go off. And he got his money's worth. So I I'm with you. I, you know, I was once told by a friend of mine, and I've taken this to heart, is when I go into watching an NBA game, especially, especially NBA, I'm going into the game knowing the refs are going to be terrible. And I do that because if I go and think the refs are going to be good and perfect, I'm going to be disappointed every time. I know the refs suck, and they're going to make terrible calls. So I go in knowing that, and then I'm not as mad as I should be, Judah, because they're just not good. And it's hard. <laughs> the, the NBA is a hard game to ref because you want to give the stars room. If you called fouls every play by the rule book, the game would be unwatchable. So it's, it's a tough balancing act, but the refs... They have a tough job, but they aren't very good. And Fred VanVleet had enough of it uh, last night. Just went off, and it was great. So your thing is, you know, you keep your expectations low, and therefore it's hard to be disappointed. Exactly. Yeah. How, uh, you know, what, what are your expectations lower for Pac-12 refs or NBA refs? Uh, Pac-12 for sure. Oh. I, uh, I've seen a lot of Pac-12 uh, miscues, especially this past football season. We all remember the uh, USC Arizona debacle at halftime. Oh gosh, yeah, you don't have to remind me. But speaking of reminding me, the uh, Van Vliet uh, rant reminded me of Joey Bosa with the Chargers <laughs> at the end of the season as well. I have the clip here now. I'm pretty sure it's censored, but. Just be ready, yeah, uh, Steven. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I censored it. All right. I need to be more accountable for my actions, obviously, but it's uh, 
it's a heated game and I'm hurting out there. I'm playing on half a leg. Um, I'm getting dragged to the ground, whatever. Could hurt me along with screwing our team. And yeah, um, maybe some of them weren't as blatant as I thought, but um, I don't know. It's uh, I think there just needs to be more accountability on... Uh, I mean, if I say something to them, I get a $40,000 fine, but if they blow a call that ruins an entire team's season, they get to... They're probably back in the locker room after the game, like, I got that <laughs> oh, Yeah, got him. 15 yards, what a loser. I guarantee it, that's what they're talking like in the back. Um, whatever, power trip. Um, I'm sick of those people, and I'm just about my third F-bomb so far. Sorry, but, man. Oof. Which one's better? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, it's just so funny. I'm going to go Van Vliet. It's just really funny. Oh, Bosa man. sounds like such an idiot. Like, he sounds like he's just so <laughs> oh, dumb. Yeah. But Van Vliet sounded like he's, you know, he has legitimate arguments. Bosa's just like, oh, they called me for a foul. I don't like it. I uh, hate those guys. I'm going to go work out. It's true. Yeah, that, that's not great. But now I am in my audio folder just uh, searching for the word censored and seeing what, what else I've pulled over the years that's been censored. Um, and uh, just having fun. There's something about a good censored clip, like a, a really good clip, obviously, that's full of like F-bombs and whatever, but you can't air on uh, terrestrial radio without the, the bleep uh, button. And... Uh, what, what is this one? I don't even know what this is. I want to practice with better etiquette, okay? Stay off the ground. Stay away from the quarterback. I want the backs and receivers to finish runs, okay? I want better etiquette. But more than anything, I want better execution. Are we clear on that? I want better f***ing execution. <laughs> I want you to get a little bit pissed off. <laughs> That's that was when John Gruden was uh, head coach of the Raiders all the all those years ago. I want better effing execution. Oh, I forgot about that. That's really funny. Oh, man. I've got some uncensored stuff in here, so i got to be careful as well. But, uh, man, some of the best sports rants, that's what it's all about. The good, good sports rants. It's hard to... It's hard to beat those. Um, 503-417-7575. Kevin Durant, was this a few years ago? Kevin Durant was on Bill Simmons' uh, podcast, and and he was talking about being scared to face the Blazers. Is that what this one was? This was KD on the Bill Simmons podcast a few years back. So the playoffs start in two weeks. 16. 16? Yeah. 15, 16. So you think you'll be back for the playoffs? I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully, I feel good. You'll be back if if it's a team you want to play. I'll be back when I, my knee gets better. <laughs> if it's Portland, you're not going to be back because you don't want to play them. <laughs> think I'm scared of Portland? Scared That's crazy, you. Bill. Dave, Dave Lillard. You think I'm scared? They got they got all the swing men to throw at you. That's crazy. Catch a sh- man. <laughs> Catch a. Sh- you think I'm scared of Portland? I forgot about that. That That's a great moment from Kevin Durant in Portland. You think I'm scared of Portland? Oh, that's great. 503-417-7575. Let's go out to Vancouver. Dave is in Vancouver. What do you got, Dave? Yeah, so uh, most Portland fans and, you know, long-timers uh, will remember, like, every time Steve Javi as a referee came to Portland. Oh. 
and Rasheed Wallace was it was that team. And Wallace got teed up for the stupidest crap. I mean, he was at the free throw line and just staring at him, not even talking, and just staring at Javi and he got teed up. He's been thrown out of the games. The whole crowd would chant Javi sucks, which was awesome. But he loved coming to Portland because he knew he was teeing up some people that night. And it, and it, generally, Rasheed Wallace. Yeah. The, fam- the, the famous time. one you're talking about is this one in the NBA playoffs. I got to oh. pull it up here. Nice. Uh, Steve oh, yeah, Jackson yeah. with a nice whack. Get out. Time out, LA. Whack. Get out. Get away from me, Steve. Get away from me, Steve. He didn't say a word. Technical foul, Wallace. He's gone. I'm... Screw Steve Jaffe. <laughs> Thanks, Dave, for the phone call. Oh, man, you're so right about that. Javi Rashid was a huge one, man. What year was that, you said, Steven? Uh, that was in the NBA playoffs against the Lakers. I want to say that was the Western Conference Finals yeah, year. I think you're right. I think you're right. Thrown, you think- out, thrown out for looking at him. For looking at him. Man, the egos on these dudes. And now Steve Javi's like a rules analyst these days. The fact that that he even said he didn't say anything and he still threw him out, it's like, all right, come on. Stupid dude. So bad. These guys' egos gets out of control. 503-417-7575. The Steve Javi, Rasheed Wallace. That's a great ref player rivalry. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there's more than one out there. Uh, if you've got any submissions, feel free to fire away here. On the bald face truth, John Cazano joins the show live in the five o'clock hour following the conclusion of Washington State and Oregon in the Pac-12 tournament quarterfinal. Oregon was up big in the first half. Uh, needless to say, they are no longer up big. We'll get John's thoughts on it when it goes final in the five o'clock hour. So be here for that. Newbie in for JC right here on the bald face truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Cazano on seven fifty. The game. Welcome back to the show. Judah Newby in for John Cazano on the Bold Face Truth, the Bold Face Truth Radio Network. John will join the show live from Vegas coming up in the 5 o'clock hour after Ducks Cougs goes final. It's a good one brewing. It's a good one brewing in Vegas. Uh, when it goes final, we'll bring on uh, JC and also get uh, a sliver of the latest on Pac-12 uh, media negotiations and things like that. Um, if you've got more player versus referee rivalries, you can feel free to fire them away. Uh, not sure anything beats Rasheed Wallace, Steve Javi in the 2000 Western Conference Finals, but uh, always here for a good rivalry. Uh, of course, spitting off Fred Van Vliet's epic presser last night. Uh, Joey Bosa's end-of-season presser <laughs> was great, too. 503-417-7575. Uh, Geno Smith gets the bag, and he is introduced today as the... Uh, Starting quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks for the long term. At least until they pick a quarterback fifth overall. Just kidding. Maybe. How likely do you think that is, by the way? I've been meaning to ask you this. More likely than you would think. Because we got some audio. We'll play and punch it audio, I'm assuming. Uh, Pete Carroll kind of hints at it. Like, yeah. like this, is a, this is a thing. Well, I'll save my take for it for that, yeah, for yeah. punch it audio. 
because uh, I think it is a thing for sure. Because how likely do you have the number five pick in the draft? Not not with this franchise. Not when you're the Seahawks. Not with the banner franchise it is, the Seattle you don't tank freaking when you're Seahawks, Seahawks, baby. Come on now. You don't tank. How what dare you do I even, how is I... you trade your star quarterback, put the voodoo magic on him, and then you pick fifth. Yeah, you knew exactly what was going to happen. You knew Russell Wilson <laughs> just fall off the cliff and be terrible. Hey, man, one year ago today, trade went down. And one year later, Gino is being introduced for three years, $105 million. Is, is that day, like, going to be a Seahawk holiday? Like, all Seahawk employees get the day off. Great call. The Russell Wilson trade day. Absolutely. All, all employees get a paid day off. You know what's amazing is the same day was when John Cazano announced he was leaving the Oregonian and so, starting JohnCazano.com. So we should get a paid day Same day. Too. I swear. Yeah, it should be a holiday for all of us here. Banner day. I remember... Um, I th- I'm trying to remember what news came first. I think the Russell news had to have come first in the morning. No, or did John's come first? I don't remember. I'm going to have to check my journal because I, I write about these things uh, just to myself, for myself. Maybe one day I'll share a page of my journal with the listening audience, but we have to make sure that we choose both that day and the page very carefully. <laughs> it's not for everyone. Um. It's actually probably for most people, to be honest. There's not, nothing too uh, weird in there. Do you uh, journal, Stephen? I'm going to guess not. That's a no. That's a no, sir. <laughs> nothing against it. I just, just not for me. Yeah. I just had to get my thoughts out long form somehow. Like, I have to. I, I'm not good enough at That's just healthy, though. That's processing healthy. things. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, you know, I both need to do it, but I'm also bad at it. Like, ever since I became a parent, the time to write in my journal is just dwindled to nothing shocker right like you don't have time to be alone and actually process any thought the way that you once did as a, as a single fellow that being said I, I just gotta find the time to get thoughts out on paper and i remember when john left the oregonian and started john that was one of those days i was like dude what is happening that's amazing and it was the same day that the seahawks traded russ to the broncos and i was like there are some big things in my life happening right about now and i'm like i don't know what i'm feeling so I had to ride it out long form. So I don't remember if Russell got traded first in the morning, like was it an overnight thing? And then I saw John announce his stuff, but I'll check the pages of my journal and uh, remember. But I did want to play some sound from Geno Smith's uh, presser today. And um, someone asked Pete Carroll and John Schneider about the significance of one year ago today being the Russell Wilson trade to Denver. And here they are one year later ready to introduce Geno as the long-term starting quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. Well, the idea that it was almost exactly a year ago today that you made this franchise-altering move, this sense of satisfaction one year later that it's worked out the way it has and the sense of pride of Gino to take you to this point. Yeah, um, I, I, I'd like to comment about that. I, I think that the job that, that, uh, that John and his guys have done to carry this thing from that, you know, those moments that led to the, the, uh, the decision to make the trade and all of that, and then... Uh, all the way through has just been a masterful job, and it's, uh, you can't you can't not recognize that. 
uh, and as all of the fruits are still out there. We're here we're heading into the draft, you know, with free agency leading into it. There's just it's just given us such a um, such an opening to the opportunity, and we're so grateful for you know for all of the years, Johnny, that we you know we've worked together and stuff. But this is really uh, it's a it's a high moment for us, and and uh, like we're all having fun with it. We're all having a blast. We can't wait you know for this thing to happen. We, the scenarios and all the stuff and all that we're talking about is uh, really that John's really taking a great leadership role in all of that. It's I mean, it's it's an awesome illustration, and uh, so that we're really grateful for that. Now. A lot of you out there are going to be like, wow, that was a lot of Pete Carroll word salad. <laughs> and it's true, you know, to a certain degree. Obviously, Pete is deferential and complimentary of John Schneider. But uh, Pete was, you know, he's done the media rounds a little bit. He was on with Florio and Pro Football Talk Live at the Combine. He was on with uh, Brock and Salk up at uh, Seattle Sports Station last week or a few days ago talking about all this. And Man, he has just simply taken the high road each and every time anyone has asked him about the story that Russell Wilson wanted to have both Pete Carroll and John Schneider fired. And apparently Russell Wilson or representatives of Russell Wilson had some type of interaction and contact with Jody Allen and Vulcan and Seahawk ownership asking for Pete and John to be fired, which is ridiculous. I do question if it's true and that's that's hard for me because one of the guys on the byline is uh mike sando who i love i love mike sando he does great great work really like mike sando and the athletic and jason jenks good investigative reporter as well they put their name on the byline of this thing and but i do question exactly they didn't go into detail how russell wilson asked for pete and john to be traded and I, I, I've heard Sando talk about this. And he's like, with what we knew, we knew enough to confirm that he made the request, but we weren't confident in totality to detail how he made the request. And look, you know, maybe, you know, it, it's parsing things that don't need to be parsed. But to me, it does matter how you ask for somebody to be let go and be fired. Because otherwise, it's a heck of a headline and... You know, not clickbait, but of course everybody's going to read that, and it's attached to Russell Wilson's legacy. And look, kick a man while he's down, will you? And I rooted against the guy all season long and had no problems doing it from a football level. You know, I was Russell Wilson fan number one when he was in Seattle. But from a football level, I had no problem rooting against the man all season long. But at a certain point, I was like, just... We got another piece against this guy? Is this completely necessary? Now, it's a problem, in my opinion, if he actually himself went to ownership, went to Jody Allen and said, look, it's me or them. And I don't think that's what happened. But if it did happen that way, I do have a problem with that. But Pete Carroll, to his credit, whenever he's been asked about that story in the last week and a half or so, he is just not taking... He's not taking the the bait. Let me ask you this, though, Judah. Yeah. Isn't it really easy for Pete Carroll to take the high road now that they've won the trade? Let's say Russell Wilson had a good season. Is Pete still going out and putting it out there like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. It is what it is and playing the high road. Or is he is he making a subtle comment here or there? Because I think it's really easy to say, yeah, we, we made the right choice. And now I'm going to celebrate. But like, you know what? Russ isn't even a big deal. I don't even think about that guy. This wouldn't even be a story. If 
Denver was good and Seattle was not good. It wouldn't be a story. The whole reason we're here is because Russell stunk last year. That's the whole reason we're here is because Russell was supposed to be great and he stunk and Seattle was supposed to stink and they were good. That's the whole reason we're even at the point where Pete Carroll can have a road to take. The story would not have come out if that if Denver went 10 and 7 made the playoffs, there would be no story that Russell Wilson wanted Pete and John fired. There wouldn't. The reason it's a story is because the narrative around Russell and the groundswell around Russell is a negative one. And therefore, this story has legs. It has room to operate. It has it has meaning and, and impact because everybody wants to have a negative thing to say about Russell Wilson. Not even that the guys that wrote the story have, have it out for Russell Wilson. They don't. But the story makes a lot more sense now because Russell has been on the struggle bus as opposed to if he had made a Pro Bowl. Like, and maybe maybe it gets its way out, but it doesn't get this type of traction. Because you know what people would say? They would say, Russell was right. If he had a good year, they would say, Russell is right. Pete and John should have been fired. Look, the Seahawks stink again. And instead, it's totally been flipped on its head. And uh, Russell comes across not only as a, as a guy that is self-involved and self-entitled and only thinking about himself in Team 3, but he also can't see the forest from the trees in terms of wanting to be on the same page with his general managers, on the same page with his head coach. He thinks it's all about him. And that's the way that he's come across for better or for worse since his trade to Denver. And now Seattle has got a top five pick and they got a Pro Bowl quarterback on a deal that's favorable for both sides, most notably because of its incentives that are embedded within it. Geno Smith wanted it that way, and the Seahawks have no problem with it being that way as well. Congrats to Geno. I'm glad he's the quarterback in Seattle. Wish nothing but the best for him. However, an offseason is a long time for defensive coordinators to get familiar with your strengths and your weaknesses. He's not taking anybody by surprise in this next season. So it's got to be a complete and total team effort to lift the boat around him Defense, run defense, pass defense, running games, special teams, you name it. Being better at home and not losing to the Raiders in your building and not letting Josh Jacobs run for 200 yards on you. Those things, you can't have those things happen if you want to A, return to the playoffs and B, as Pete Carroll said, win a couple more games than you did this past season. You know, they got to get better in multiple areas in order, because I don't think you can you can expect Geno to be markedly better than he was this past season. If he matches what he did this past season, that's good enough for me. 503-417-7575. Punch it audio's next. Nubian for Kanzano. But John will join the show in the 5 o'clock hour after Oregon Wazoo goes final right here on the Bald Face Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the show. Junior Newby in for John Cazzano. John will join the show in the 5 o'clock hour after uh, Ducks Cougs goes final, wraps up some press conferences, and then he'll join us and uh, talk about this one. 
Uh, as it's uh, coming down to the wire, Oregon Wazoo winner goes to the uh, semifinals. In the meantime, let's rip through some Punch It Audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Pete Carroll, Stephen Vaughn mentioned this, but Pete Carroll... Talking about having the number five pick in the draft. Could a quarterback potentially be in store there even after you get Geno to a long-term deal? This was Pete Carroll on Seattle Sports' Brock and Sulk show. Punch it. That opportunity is absolutely there. We could do whatever we need to do, you know, and, and uh, um, which is a whole nother, you know, discussion of what's really exciting. And, you know, the coaches are working at it and the scouts are working at it to try to position this thing. When there's only, you're at five, this is different than we're used to seeing. You know, this is really fun because you can pretty much predict what, what's going to happen with, you know, four different choices, you know. So which one is it? And, and uh, so um, it's, 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 we're alive and all, you know, uh, and all guns are blazing here. You're at five. You're not at five very often if you're the uh, Seattle Seahawks. So you got to take advantage of it when you got it. Guns are blazing, though, Judah. That's yeah. what he said. Guns are blazing. What does that mean? I don't, <laughs> I don't love the phrase in general, but uh, at the same time, I think uh, here's the thing, man. You're trying to convince the entire world that you're taking a quarterback at five so that someone trades up. You want, a, you want a team that is more quarterback desperate than you are to come up to five so that you can trade out. That's what you want. So Pete Carroll, John Schneider, whenever they got a microphone in, in front of them, you best believe they're saying, yeah, man, quarterback at five, quarterback at five, quarterback at five. Oh, anybody want a quarterback? You can call us. We're at five. I think there is a better chance that they trade out of five to a team like I don't know, maybe Carolina that needs to get up from the ninth spot, depending on who's there. Now, I don't know what Jalen Clark's draft stock is, is going to do. I still have a hard time thinking that, uh, wait, who did I say? Jalen Clark? That's the UCLA guy. Jalen Carter, Close. Georgia defensive tackle. Uh, I don't know what kind of impact his draft stock is taking because of, obviously, the, the really serious charges um, that he's facing right now. So I don't know exactly what is going to become of that. I do see a world where the Seahawks draft him at five, I'll be honest with you. But he is he's also, I think, a, better than a, the fifth overall prospect, just from a football standpoint, obviously, in this year's draft. So I don't know. I If you ask me, is there a better chance that the Seattle Seahawks draft Jalen Carter, draft a quarterback, or trade out? or trade just trade down a little bit. I think there's a better chance that Seattle uh, drafts Jalen Carter, frankly. And I don't know if a lot of people are thinking, or if a lot of people want to think that way, frankly, because it's a little unappetizing. But I've seen this team take Frank Clark when he had all the issues around him and, and the domestic violence stuff. Like, they're going to take talent, okay? It's the National Football League. It's not a PR class. And... I'd, I'm not saying I would love that or be a fan of that. I really wouldn't. Uh, unless we somehow... Unless it comes out that Jalen Carter is innocent of stuff, which I'd be a little bit surprised if that ends up being the case. But at the same time, 
I will, uh, you know, I will wait to withhold uh, judgment until the investigation is complete and all that good stuff. But I, of those three options, I think there's a better chance that the Seahawks take Jalen Carter if he's there at five than they take a quarterback. And you talk about that, like the culture of Seattle, they've taken on these guys before. Yeah. Right. Josh Gordon, uh, they were rumored to be in the Antonio Brown sweepstakes, I remember back in yep. the day. Like, yeah. they're not afraid to take on these type of guys. So I'm with you. Like, the culture of Seattle is very good, and they're willing to take a risk like that. And when Jalen Carter, that talented guy, falls to five, you might, you might, you just take him. But I will also say this, Judah, Anthony Richardson, he's booming up the draft boards. I've seen Pete Carroll talk about him and how athletic he is. Yeah. Is there a chance? Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, one of those developmental guys, falls to five. Seattle takes one of them so they have their future quarterback because they have Geno locked into a couple years. And I think you would even admit, like, he's not the long-term answer in Seattle. Could it be in a situation where they take a Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, let him sit for a year or two, and then go with him after Geno? Yeah, I think Geno is, with the deal that he signed, obviously three years, 105. I think he is the plug-and-play starter, obviously, this year and next year. And we'll see where he's at in year three, and we'll see what kind of exit ramps they have, if they want any exit ramps at all with Geno. But that's exactly where you would want to draft a quarterback that might be a bit of a project. I mean, how many... Most teams don't have that liberty. Most teams don't. Even the Chiefs, when... You know, they drafted Patrick Mahomes. They were supposed to pick in the 24-25 that year, and they traded up 15 spots to pick number 10 overall in order to get Patrick Mahomes ahead of Sean Payton and the Saints at 11. And even after they did all that, what they did with the man? They let him sit for a year behind Alex Smith. Great for Patrick Mahomes. First year he starts, he wins MVP. I, I say that worked out pretty well. Green Bay's got this Jordan Love thing going on. Obviously, they did the Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre thing. You want to be able to draft a younger quarterback. Like, in an ideal world, you would draft a really good rookie quarterback, but have him not play for a year. Like, I think a lot of people would want that to be the case. But the problem is you can't afford that when your team sucks. Seattle's in a spot where they might be able to afford it. They got they got Geno here. And maybe taking a quarterback at five, that, that's more of a long-term project is uh is a doable thing for them it'll be interesting because that's the thing is seattle's actually good they made the playoffs last year but they have some holes that they could fill up right yeah. and becoming an even better team so it'll be interesting to see what they do but i don't think they can go wrong really yeah. at five i think they're in a great spot i will say i would prefer anthony richardson to will levis and uh that's just because athletically he's so darn exciting and it's hard like to me the perfect scenario for anthony richardson is getting in a, a good team with a good culture and, and sitting for a year, right? Will Levis might be able to play right now because of his, I think, mentally, he's more advanced than Anthony Richardson for the NFL game. But physically, you, you can't do better than Anthony Richardson physically. But the problem is the NFL is a mental game. At quarterback, it is a mental game. Your physical traits don't mean jack if you don't know how to read defenses and, and make things happen when, when asked to. Because your athleticism will, will get you so far, but it's going to run dry if uh, if you don't know how to win the mental battle from time to time. It's just not sustainable. So, yeah, I'm interested to see how that goes. Let's bounce the break, and we'll come back. We'll finish Punch It Audio on the other side. We'll also get a live visit from John Canzano from Vegas in the 5 o'clock hour following Ducks Cougs in the Pac-12 tournament. Newbie in for Canzano right here on the Bald Face Truth. 
Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Consano on 750 The Game. John Catano will join the show in the 5 o'clock hour coming up here shortly. Live from Vegas, he is uh, on the scene where it has now gone final between the four-seed Oregon Ducks and the five-seed Washington State Cougars. Up and down game. Final score, Ducks 75, Cougars 70. Oregon wins, and they are advancing to the uh, Pac-12 tournament semifinals the betting line on this game i think was oregon minus two and a half there may or may not have been a three-point attempt from washington state at the buzzer that uh wouldn't have made a difference on the money line but sure as echo would have made a difference on the point spread it missed ducks win ducks win by five and uh they're going on to play ucla tomorrow night that's pretty. That's an amazing game, Stephen. In, in a lot of ways, obviously Oregon got to a huge, huge lead. It was an eight. It was down to an eight-point lead at halftime, and they were down at one point in the second half as well. Washington State made this one real, real close on them. Yeah, they did. And there's a couple interesting storylines coming out of the game now. Is you know, John talked about this early this week. He thought if Oregon makes the Pac-12 championship game, that they get that large bid. And you go and look at the the you know the bracketologies. They're kind of the next four out, but a lot of these bubble teams have lost. Nevada just lost to San Jose State. I mentioned earlier Michigan lost to Rutgers. Wisconsin lost to Ohio State. North Carolina takes on Virginia tonight. Like, there's the potential where these teams lose. Arizona State may be one of those teams. If you're a Duck fan, you're rooting for USC in that one. There's a chance if the Ducks beat UCLA, they could sneak in as a first four team. Yeah. And I and that was something I didn't really expect happening going forward, but a lot of losses in the Ducks win. And then in Folly Dante. The Ducks star player, first team all Pac-12, he got hurt. He injured his ankle at the very end of the game. Had an awesome block oh, shot no. on Powell to kind of save the game. Ducks were up two blocks a shot, but Flans awkward on his ankle had to be helped off the court. That's going to be a big missing piece if he's out. No, obviously no word than that, but hopefully, uh, hopefully John can find something out about that. Oh, dude, it, it didn't look good. Hard to imagine a scenario they can beat UCLA without Nafali Dante, but I see him on the set of uh, Pac-12 Network right now. So at least that he is there. Yeah, I'm trying to get a look at his foot know, there. Camera uh, pan around to to his foot to his ankle. Uh, we're rolling on that sound. So when we have it ready, we'll we'll uh, we'll see. Because I'm sure that uh, Ernie Kent and everybody are asking him how his how his ankle's doing. Uh, yeah, 28 bench points for Oregon in this game. Three bench points for Washington State. Uh, that's a key stat. Here's how the final call sounded moments ago on the Pac-12 Network with Roxy Bernstein and Don McClain on the call. Just let him go. Don't even be near him. Jakimovsky fires a three at the horn. That's it. And Oregon, who led by as many as 19 in the first half, surrendering the lead to reclaim it. And made the plays down the stretch. And the Ducks get win number 19. They will play UCLA. Big win for Oregon. They could have. Once they relinquished the lead to Washington State, sometimes teams fade. They didn't. They hung in there. They fought. They made enough plays down the home stretch to win this one. Let's just hope that Infali Dante is good enough to play tomorrow against UCLA. Yeah, and uh, Don McClain just, he nailed it. Yeah, hopefully Dante is, is good enough to go tomorrow night against UCLA. 
We shall see. Uh, John Cazano will check in with us once uh, his postgame duties are all wrapped up in Vegas. He'll call in live from Vegas with uh, his thoughts on Oregon's win, 75-70 to over the Washington State Cougars. Boy, the Cougars gave them all they could handle. After Oregon got out to a big lead in the first half, the Cougs came storming back, had a second-half lead themselves, and uh, had Oregon on the ropes. But the Ducks, in the end, survive and advance in the Pac-12 tournament and get UCLA uh, tomorrow night in a 4 versus one game. And, yeah, we'll see the status of uh, Nafale Dante in that one. Other games later tonight, I know tipping off at, what, 6 o'clock, it's Stanford in Arizona. That's a 7-2 game or a 10-2 game? I can't remember where Stanford is. 10-2. 10-2. And then you have uh, the finale tonight would be Arizona State and USC in the 6 versus 3. Who you got? Um, you know, Stanford's played a lot better than the record shows, but I'll take Arizona in that one. And then I, I think Arizona State's going to get the win. I think Arizona State, oh. they are up and down team. I told you Oregon State would keep it close. They did. Uh, but I think they're looking forward to the USC game, and they look past Oregon State a little bit. I think Arizona State gets the dub tonight. I forgot the Beavs covered the number. They covered it. So, that's good. Told you. You had it. Uh, five at five is coming up. We'll continue to take a reaction on the Ducks win over the Cougs and check in live from Vegas with John Cazano on the Bald Face Truth. Nubian for Cazano here on the Bald Face Truth. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Cazano, here's Jude and Newby with the Bald Face Truth. John Cazano will check in this hour you can check in as well 503-417-7575 ducks take down the kooks 75 70 and oregon is moving on in the pac-12 tournament they got ucla tomorrow in the semi-finals and uh it's you know the ride continues for the oregon ducks uh dan altman talking to uh, jordan kent we'll have uh, some of that sound coming up nafali dante made a big block down the stretch so uh that's good but may have banged up his ankle a little bit so we'll see <laughs> about that hopefully his availability uh is intact for ucla college basketball baby it's march baby where's dickie v right where's dickie v when you need him actually i i do is he doing okay he's had some health stuff but i think he's battling through i, I read an article saying he was offered to do some uh, march madness games this year and he declined for cbs yeah. interesting I love I love that win. The Piper Dandy baby. The Monte. <laughs> That's pretty good. BTP or John Cazano will uh, check in in a moment, but first let's do the five at five. Five big things uh, going on today. The five at five. Kevin Durant, man, what a bummer! What a bummer! Kevin Durant is expected to miss two to three weeks because of a left ankle injury. According to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, this is number one of the five at five. He was supposed to make his home debut as a member of his new team, the Phoenix Suns. But instead of playing a minute in the game, he leaves the arena in a walking boot instead. Phoenix still won the game. They beat Oklahoma City 132 to 101. But... In pregame warm-ups, Durant slipped and injured his ankle, and it kept him out of what was supposed to be his first home game with the Suns. Monty Williams, former Blazers assistant, of course, Suns head coach, said after the game, I feel bad for him because he feels bad. 
I saw his face and I've been around him so many times. I know what he's feeling and I don't want him feeling that way at all. KD has played in three games with the Suns since being acquired from Brooklyn in a trade. In those games, he's averaged over 26 points a game, over seven boards and three assists a game. 69% from the field in three wins with Phoenix. It's the highest field goal percentage in a player's first three games with a team in the history of the association, according to ESPN Stats and Information. Nice stat right there. <laughs> I see you working. But what do you mean? Dude, KD slipping pregame and... Now he's going to be, it could have been worse, I guess, but two to three weeks after an MRI. Have you ever seen anything like that? No, it was a nasty fall, too. He fell very awkwardly. I think the Suns are the best team in the Western Conference, but they got to be healthy. And if Kevin Durant's not healthy, I can't pick him to win uh, the Western Conference. The Kings are the official uh, favorite now in the Pacific Division. Who would have thought that 66 games into the year? Number two of our five and five. Free agent wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. will be holding a workout for NFL teams tomorrow in Arizona. According to ESPN, the 30-year-old Beckham missed all of this past season with a torn ACL. He went on a free agent tour visiting the Giants, Cowboys, and Buffalo Bills. Never signed with anybody. The Giants are among the teams expected to be at the workout. Boy, that would be fun. And it would be an opportunity for Beckham to show teams where he's at physically. It's been 13 months since Beckham tore his ACL, which, of course, was in the Super Bowl against the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, outside of Beckham, Jacoby Myers of the New England Patriots, he is a free agent as well. And he is considered to be the top receiver available in free agency outside or including Odell Beckham Jr., depending on Odell's physical health. That just goes to show you what kind of free agent class is out there. This, I mean, Jacoby Myers is not a bad player. He's fine. But if he's considered the top receiver available in free agency, you know it's a thin class. So Odell has a chance to uh, maybe agree with a good team and agree for a good number for him in the wake of injuring his ACL and, uh, and being out for a while. He's going to get back into it. Number three of our five at five, Patrick Ewing out at Georgetown. I really was rooting for Patrick Ewing. It didn't go well. But wasn't it year one for him at Georgetown where they got into the tournament as like a, what were they, a 12 seed? And did they, they made some type of run, didn't they? So they, uh, yeah, they won the Big East tournament. That's right. Uh, that was back in 2021. They, yeah, they were not a very good team, and uh, they ran it, ran the tournament in the Big East, got to the NCAA tournament, and lost as a 12 seed. But that was uh, by far his most successful year. But so besides that, 19 and 14 in his second season uh, was his only only season with a winning record in six years. Georgetown lost a Big East record 29 consecutive conference games. That began with the uh, 2021 regular season and ended in January. Oof, that's rough. Just goes to show you, coaching is hard in college basketball. Doesn't matter if you're one of the greatest ever. Uh, coaching is hard. Recruiting is hard. And you got to be more than just a big name in order to uh, to make it. Number four, about five at five, Trailblazers. Yusuf Nurkic returns to the lineup. He misses 14 games, but he comes back. He plays about 17 minutes. He hits a couple ba baskets, but that's pretty much it from him. Blazers lose big in Boston. Predictable loss. 
even though you never want to lose big like the Blazers did and uh, fail to get to 100 points. Road trip continues tomorrow in Philadelphia to take on the Sixers and then we'll conclude in New Orleans against CJ and company. And then uh, they'll come back home to Portland. Steven Yusuf Nurkic coming back as a Blazer. What'd you make of his first minutes back from injury? Yeah, he looked rusty uh, as as you would think he would as a big guy missing 14 games. He's going to be rusty, but I, I do think... I don't want to say that they should rest him more because I don't know if he's ready or if he wasn't ready or not, but he just looked, he didn't look great. He didn't look great in the debut, but I expect that to get better over time. And if Blazers really want to make a run at this play and they're a game back right now, they need a healthy, well-played use of Nurkic for the rest of the season, for these last 16 games. They really do need him. So it's going to be important to see how he does bounce him back. But Judah, he did not look very good, I didn't think, last night. And I don't know if it was mental or physical, but it had to have been something. And number five at the five at five. It's gone final in Vegas. Just let him go. Don't even be near him. Jakubowski fires a three at the horn. That's it. And Oregon, who led by as many as 19 in the first half, surrendering the lead to reclaim it and made the plays down the stretch. And the Ducks get win number 19. They will play UCLA. Big win for Oregon. They could have once they relinquished the lead to Washington State. Sometimes teams fade. They didn't. They hung in there. They fought. They made enough plays down the home stretch to win this one. Let's just hope that Infali Dante is good enough to play tomorrow against UCLA. Ducks win. They do advance to play UCLA, but the uh, status of Nafali Dante is in question after the ankle injury late. 75-70, the final, and Dana and the Ducks still dancing in Vegas. John Cazano will join the show live from Vegas later this hour, uh, so you don't want to miss that. We'll get his thoughts on this and uh, maybe a thought or two on Pac-12 media negotiations because the rumors and reports are new every morning. They are new every day, uh, if that's not sacrilegious to say. That's the 5 at 5 right here on the Bald Face Truth and uh, the BFT Radio Network. JC will be along here shortly. I uh, pulled some audio of Nafali Dante and Keyshawn Bartholomew on the uh, the post game with Pac-12 Network. Let's reset some of that and uh, let you hear in Nafali in his own words after Oregon's big win over Wazoo. Win for you guys. I know it was hard fought. You were up big. How are you doing? I'm going to start with that. How's that ankle? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. You know, it's You're just good. a little twist, so... Just a twist. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That, that is, I think there's a lot of Oregon fans right now taking a deep sigh of relief. Tell me how you guys, Keyshawn, you, you were huge in this game. How did you guys pull this off? Well, first of all, we, we got some stops at the very end. Like those, I mean, I, I, I did what I did, but my teammates let me do what I do out there. And I did it I did it the game. We got stops. And that's what matters deep in March. We, we got to get some stops and make free throws. And we got it done. That was the best defense that I've seen any team in the country play in the first six minutes of the game how hard you guys play what will it take for you to play that hard that focus for i won't even say 40 let's say 35 minutes with that type of intensity because i think you beat anybody if you do well i think it just starts with like our active hands and bothering other teams like I, I try to pick up 94 as much as i can and bother these guards out there and then make him get them out of stuff offensively and uh 
and we just got to maintain it tomorrow against uh, against UCLA because they play for 40 minutes and we got to match that energy, even exceeded. And follow you play UCLA tomorrow. Obviously, a great team, but as we just talked about, I think you could beat a UCLA. You could beat anybody. You beat Arizona by 20. You've beat some great teams this year. Again, what does it take for you guys to be your best and play for 40 minutes like that? Put your mic to Yeah, get your mic. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. hear you, man. Sorry. Oh, I mean, like I said, the luck, we got to win this one first and focus on the next one. This is UCLA tomorrow, so we know what we got fun about. So we just got to stay ready and then play because I, I believe in my team. I believe every single one of my teammates, yeah. so I believe that we can get this done. So, Keyshawn, you remind me. It's kind of, I don't know who your favorite NBA player is. But I'm going to give a comp here. Coach always loves all my comps. You remind me the way you move and you kind of get down a little bit. You remind me of C.J. McCollum. I don't know if anybody's Whoa, told you about that. That's what he <laughs> reminds me of, the style of his play. And I don't know if that if that resonates with you at all. Well, first of all, my favorite player is Steph Curry. Um, but I can't shoot as well as him right now. But <laughs> I, I try to model my game after some some of the best guards in the league, like Dame, C.J., the change of pace and, and things of that nature. But um, enough about me, man. The, the team did what we had to do collectively and I mean we just got a, a gut-wrenching win for us and we'll be ready tomorrow. So that's it. That's uh, Nafali Dante and uh, Keyshawn Bartholomew on the Pac-12 Network after the win. That's <laughs> a uh, big big game for Keyshawn and it's like, hey man, you, you remind me of CJ. How do you like that? Well, I'm more of a uh, Steph Curry fan myself. I'm more of an MVP type player, but you know, whatever. I'll take CJ, I guess. Uh, I do like his attitude, though. But but enough about me. It was a it was a big win for the, for the team. So it was big win for Oregon. Final score seventy five seventy. They're on to play UCLA tomorrow night. Which, by the way, will be right here on the flagship of the Bald Face Truth Radio Network seven fifty the game and seven fifty the game dot com. It's your home of the NCAA tournament and all things college basketball from Westwood One. We'll have a UCLA and Oregon tomorrow night, and we'll have uh, the uh, the other semifinal between the winner of Stanford and Arizona taking on the winner of USC Arizona State. Judah Duby in for John Cazano. JC will check in live from Vegas any moment in this five o'clock hour. We'll bring it to you right here on the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Cazano on seven fifty the game. We'll get a check-in from John Cazano in Vegas coming up in a moment. Ducks going on there onto the uh, semifinals of the uh, of the Pac-12 tournament after they dispatched Washington State, 75-70. Nafali Dante, though, big man for Oregon, got a huge um, blocked shot to protect a two-point lead late in the game. Fell on his ankle, looked pretty bad, didn't finish the game. So his status for UCLA tomorrow night is in question. We'll get the latest from John uh, on what he knows on that front uh, regarding Nafali Dante and, of course, Oregon shaping up to play UCLA. Uh, I would give Oregon a really good shot, obviously, if it, if it was a healthy Nafali Dante against a UCLA team. That's obviously they beat Colorado, but still finding their way without the defensive player of the year in the conference, Jalen Clark, who's out for the year. So with Dante's injury, that certainly makes it a little bit of a, a closer battle. Um, still would have to favor UCLA, in my opinion, but we've seen Dane Altman in big uh, high-leverage moments in March. Worked some magic before, 
and maybe he can do it again. Speaking of, Dana Altman uh, caught up with Jordan Kent, a former Duck himself, on the Pac-12 Network following the win. After the guys about stepping up on the defensive end, you hold Washington State scoreless the final three and a half minutes of this game. What did you like from your defense down the stretch? Well, Dante got a big block. We went small and, and did a better job of pushing out on their threes. Uh, I did a really bad job of managing the lead, though, in the first half. We got up, and and I didn't take a timeout, let them get that 10-0 run. That's on me. We did a poor job there, but give them credit. I mean, that's an experienced, tough group. Kyle does a heck of a job. We knew. I put on the board. It's going to be a 40-minute fight, 10 up, 10 down, 20 up, 20 down, because the way they shoot the threes. You know, at one time, start second half, they were six for nine. And a uh, couple of them really guarded. A couple of them weren't. But uh, the way they shoot it, you're, they're always a threat to come back. And we got the big lead, and I let them get that 10-0 run. And uh, we're fortunate. Obviously, big question with Infali Dante as far as where he's going to be for this matchup against UCLA. But looking at the Bruins, what do you guys see as far as a couple of keys for you as you get set to take them on tomorrow? Well, we had to lead in both times against them at half and then they just kicked us on the boards they're just tougher than us I, I Mick does a great job they got good players they're tough and uh, we just can't let that happen we got we got to try to D up a little better we got to try to man up a little better um, but they did out toughest in both games and uh, we didn't hit any shots but we we didn't show any toughness so we're gonna have to do a lot better uh, tomorrow but hey our guys will swing away we'll be we'll play better tomorrow we we're a little tight after we got that big lead we we start getting uh, tentative you know you can't do that and uh, so we got to make sure we just swing away and try to make something happen tomorrow thanks a lot Dana all righty the Ducks continue to swim here at the tournament as they take on UCLA tomorrow that's uh, Dana Ullman and of course Jordan Kent Pac-12 Network uh you gotta love Dana Steven <laughs> you know he's he's got his things to say you know takes accountability for losing a big lead in the first half I'm sure Deep down, he's probably pissed at one of his assistants, but it's okay. You know, he, he takes accountability himself. Uh, really good coach, really good postseason coach, obviously. And uh, Ducks get it done and face Wazoo, or excuse me, beat Wazoo, face UCLA. How do you size him up? I mean, obviously, Nafali Dante has a, has a key role in that. Let's say with Nafali Dante, bum ankle and all, how do you feel like Oregon compares to uh to the top seed in the tourney. Yeah, we don't know for sure, but Dante seemed pretty pretty sure that he you know should be at least available tomorrow uh, in the post game right there, just right after the game. But uh, yeah, I mean, Dane Allman hit on it. Like Oregon is very talented, and they were up on UCLA in both of those games this season, and then UCLA out toughed them. And that's what I talk about. You know, when I talk about the the veteran leadership that UCLA has and how they've been through all the battles. You know, I mentioned that earlier, Judah. Like they, you know, they've been through a lot of battles on the basketball court. Got to Final Fours, been in a lot of tough games. They're not going to get rattled. So it could be one of those situations again where Oregon jumps up on them, just like Oregon jumped up on Washington State, and then they fight back and get back in the game because usually it's not going to crumble. So I, I do think it's going to be an interesting game because Oregon. Maybe the second most talented team in the, in the league, right behind UCLA. Like, I could argue that over Arizona. Like, that's how talented that team is, and they just haven't been healthy all season long. And I think with an Infale Dante, if he's somewhat healthy and he's effective, that's a different problem for UCLA. So, I, you know, I like Oregon in the game. I like Dana Altman as the coach. I think Oregon's got a shot to win this thing. I, yeah. I, I would pick UCLA 
But Oregon definitely has a chance with the way they're playing. And you saw in the first half how well, when this team clicks, how well they can play. And they got up at Washington State, and they just crushed up in the first half, up 18. That's how they're going to have to play for 40 minutes uh, tomorrow night against UCLA. John Cazano will check in uh, here in a few moments as well with uh, his thoughts live from Vegas. And uh, we'll we'll talk to him about uh, his thoughts on this one and some uh, of the Pac-12 media rights news, of course. And Dennis Dodd of CBS writing his own piece again today uh, about the Big 12, saying the Big 12 is ready to pounce on the four corner schools as doubt creeps in about the Pac-12's viability. Uh, Dennis Dodd with uh, Brett Yormark's influence all over this piece here, continuing to pump up the narrative that uh, the Pac-12 is on the precipice of falling apart and the Big 12 is going to reap the benefits of it. Uh, We'll talk to John about that and a lot more. We'll go ahead and bounce to break now and leave some room for John on the other side uh, when he calls in live from Vegas, and we'll spend a few minutes with JC on his show right here on the Bald Face Truth. Judah Newby in for John Catano, but don't go anywhere. JC will join the program in the next segment right here on the Bald Face Truth and the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. We'll talk to John Canzano this segment right here on the Bald Face Truth. Judah Newby in for John Canzano, but John will call in from Vegas and we'll uh, talk to him for a few moments of his time and really looking forward to it as the Oregon Ducks beat Washington State 75-70. So they're moving on to play UCLA just as John predicted. And he also predicted they'd beat UCLA and they would make the Pac-12 tournament championship game. So domino number one is down of uh, John's predictions with the Ducks. We'll see if... Domino number two hits tomorrow night as well. Of course, UCLA shorthanded with uh, the Pac-12 Conference Defensive Player of the Year, Jalen Clark, out for the year. Uh, And Oregon, hopefully they won't be shorthanded, but their star big man, their first teamer uh, on the all-conference team of the Pac-12, Nafali Dante, massive blocked shot for him down the stretch in this game. Uh, It bangs up his ankle, but... He uh, says that, hey, he'll be good to go. He's not going to have any worries. He'll be good to go uh, tomorrow night against UCLA. So it'll be Oregon-UCLA, 6 o'clock. You can also hear that one right here on the Boldface Truth Radio Network flagship, 750thegame and 750thegame.com from Westwood One, Ducks and Bruins, which is going to be a lot of fun tomorrow at 6. And then uh, the winner of USC-Arizona State is going to face the winner of Arizona and Stanford. That's going to be the other semifinal tomorrow night. Out of all those teams, I don't know, Arizona is still sitting there just flexing its muscles, getting ready. We haven't even seen them yet in this tournament, and they're going to tip off here close to the top of the hour, whether it's going to be, you know, if they win tonight over Stanford, which, I don't know, where's the spread on that? It's got to be close to double digits, I would think. Uh, let me look it up right here. I, I got the Oregon-UCLA spread that's... Uh, oh, hold it. Hold that one. Hold that one. All right, we'll hold that one. I've got Stanford-Arizona at, at... 10. I got it at yes, 10. Yes, 10. Arizona laying 10 points. And USC laying four. Yep. I will guess. I'm going to try to guess where the Oregon uh, UCLA one is. Right. I'm going to guess it's UCLA 
Four. UCLA laying five right now. Oh, really? So okay. Close. No, no, not too bad. Ducks plus five? I think that's the play. It's got to be the play, right? <laughs> got to be got to be the show by the way the show will be live from spirit mountain casino on monday of next week so mark your calendars come on by come check us out it's gonna be a great time it was a great time last time at spirit mountain uh dennis dixon obviously was there in the lead up to uh to super bowl 57 talking with dennis was a blast uh we got some big things in store as well so uh mark your calendars for monday march 13th the ides of march uh, and uh, come hang out with, with the show and the crew on Monday at Spare Mountain. The tournament field will be set at that point. It's going to be great. Get your bets in. The yep. men's Thursday, and Friday. women's. Yeah, there you go. You know what I mean? Like, And there's a version of this. We'll see. We talked about it yesterday. The uh, The women's selection show is Sunday as well this year. Sunday, 5 o'clock, as opposed to Selection Monday, what they do a lot of the time. So it's a Selection Sunday this year, and uh, Kelly Graves in Oregon are, are on the bubble. I mean... You know, they're among the first four out, I think, on Charlie Cream's bracketology, whatever whatever Charlie knows. Nah, he's good. Uh, but hopefully, you know, maybe Oregon gets in. You're talking about Oregon being in, UP being in. We got to do like a, a, a bald-faced truth or a 750 the game, like local team parlay of some yeah. kind, right? Yeah, you got to go at least Portland on the money get line. Take Portland women's basketball on the money line with, you know, if the Duck men get in, if the Duck women get in, the Wazoo women you know, something like that. Yeah. The, the bald face truth mojo parlay. The the mojo parlay. I love that. We got to create our own parlays. But you and I, we've both been down to Spirit Mountain. You've been down more than me, but uh, it's a really awesome experience in there. And smoke-free, which I didn't realize is a uh, pretty unique thing that sets you apart as a, uh, as a casino. But it does, and I appreciate that. It's nice. Yeah, it's just a nice little... Uh, added bonus to that but yeah it'll be uh it'll be popping yeah over there you know with with the tournament games happening later that week uh you know, what do you know what do you normally do around the tournament how do you take it in uh i mean i've gone to vegas numerous times really? for it yeah i mean i've probably gone there five or six times for the first round first two rounds okay but i won't be doing that this year uh usually i just kind of hanging out watching all the games hopefully by myself uh try to get rid of the kids as much as i can at what? that point but uh <laughs> What is the Vegas experience like? If anybody's thinking about doing it or planning to do it for March Madness, pros and cons of going to Vegas for the uh, first couple of rounds that first weekend. The pros is it, you know Vegas is always fun, but when it's March Madness, like the sports books are always just wild and crazy. Like it is what you think it's going to be. Like people are yelling and screaming the entire time, and it's just nonstop days of basketball. Right? I mean basketball from. 9 a.m. all the way till you know 7:30, 8 o'clock when the last game tips off. You're just betting on games, watching games. It's a great experience. Now the con is, it's very expensive now. Uh, you know what I was, I haven't gone for probably like five years. I would say maybe six years, and it's gotten a lot more expensive in those times. It used to be a lot more cheaper to get down there, but now they know how much of a fun experience it is to get there. But if you can get there, I mean, it's it's one of those things where. If you enjoy betting or you enjoy just Vegas in general, I think the March Madness is a great time to go down there and see what they got because it's just there's a lot of energy, right? Vegas always has a lot of energy, but with all you see all the uh, all the fans supporting their team, wearing their team shirts, it, it's just a good vibes, good energy uh, the whole time you're down there. Yeah, well, I, I gotta go sometime. I've never been to Vegas. That's one of my uh, besetting sins, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. 
uh, uh, ironic. I've been I've been there. I've never been to Sin City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, but I'd like to go sometime and just uh, you know, on the up and up, the uh, casual consumer that I am. Uh, nothing too crazy, but enjoy the offerings of uh, of a city like Vegas for sure, and the uh, the sports book offerings as well. Uh, could be a lot of fun, but I imagine it's just probably straight chaos during March Madness too. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's uh, it's straight chaos, and I mean like you know I've gone with my wife and stuff, and we'll be sitting next to people in the sports book who are just absolutely livid that their bets are losing, and you know they're ripping up tickets, and they walk out, and we go look at them, you know they're thousands of dollars worth. Wow! And then you got my wife, you know, betting like five bucks in the game, but she's going as crazy <laughs> as it, crazy dude. as they are. Isn't it always that way? Yeah, like nobody nobody knows what you're betting, and then it's just yeah. you know it's just fun to see the losers and the winners. So uh, yeah. Uh, What's your best or favorite bet that you've won while you're in Vegas for for the tournament? Do you remember? Uh, I haven't had any like super big ones for the tournament. I've had um, on my alleged offshore account. I have had a big a big parlay win one year where I I basically parlayed like four or five underdogs and they all won outright. And I had that, so that was a bit that was one of my bigger wins a couple of years ago. Uh, but nothing big, nothing big in Vegas so far, which has been disappointing because. If I ever won big in Vegas, Judah, I mean, I would be living it up, having great dinners, uh, seeing great shows. It would be a great time, and uh, my wife would really love me then. But it just hasn't <laughs> happened yet. It hasn't happened yet in Vegas, but uh, I've got a couple of big winners here. Well, it, uh, I feel like you got to bet a 12 and a 5. A twelve to beat a five. You got it. I, I mean, I've had a cu- I've had a couple like uh, you know I, I I bet on Mercer when they beat Duke. I bet on Florida Gulf Coast. That's a good money one. line when they beat Georgetown, but it wasn't like huge bet. That's a really good one, the Mercer Duke one. I remember that one. That's a that's a lot of fun. Uh, Ducks moving on in the tournament, and uh, they're going to go on and they're going to play UCLA tomorrow. That's going to be the four seed against the one seed, and uh, it's going to be uh, you know semifinals. Dana trying to do that March magic once again. All right, let's go to the phone line right now. The uh, the namesake of the show, the founder of the show, John Cazzano, is live from Vegas right on the bald-faced truth. Uh, John, what'd you make of it? Oregon survives and advances. Yeah, I think uh, I think if you're an Oregon fan, the, the game kind of probably reminded you a little bit of the season in that there were some real nice moments and there were some bad moments. And, you know, in the end, they, they're still alive in this bracket. And I think that's what matters. Dana Altman sort of, uh, you know, chalked it up as Washington State having a really good shooting team. They're the best shooting team in the conference from three-point range and he said look even when they were up 16 or 19 uh it wasn't safe but uh, i think they you know oregon's got oregon's obviously got to do some soul searching overnight will richardson's got to be more effective and a better better playmaker early uh it looks like in folly dante who went down during the game it looks like he's going to be okay dana altman said after the game that and folly says he's okay and he's he's going to be good to go tomorrow but it will take a special performance from Oregon to, to overcome UCLA tomorrow, but that's what these March Madness events are about. <laughs> How's the atmosphere down there? It's it's decent. It, you know, I thought there was a pretty good crowd for the Oregon-Washington State fan, uh, fan bases, and, and it feels like, you know, we're creeping towards some big games and some big moments. Obviously, Arizona's going to play tonight. So a lot of Arizona fans filtering into the arena. I'm outside the arena right now, but um, – you know, if you're an Oregon fan, I think you're looking at this opportunity. Like if, if I had told Oregon fans in the middle of the season, you're going to get one shot at UCLA. If you beat them, you might just be in the NCAA tournament based on that win alone. 
I think a lot of Oregon fans would take that and say, hey, uh, for everything they've been through this season, they're in position now with one game tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. I saw Tad Boyle got tossed at the end of the Colorado-UCLA game. Uh, I know you got to take that one in. What did you make of the way that Colorado fought with the Bruins and the Bruins ultimately getting by them? Yeah, I thought, you know, if you're a Colorado fan, you got to be awfully pleased with the performance. I think you have to look at that and go, uh, uh, you know, they hung in there. Uh, I think it, I thought it was really important for UCLA to play well without Jalen Clark, and, and, and they did. And what makes UCLA so good, and they've done this twice against Oregon this year, is UCLA in the final five, six minutes of games, they just have so much experience, so much leadership on the court, arguably one of the best players in the country, um, you know, out there in, in Jacquez, and, and you've got Tiger Campbell who's just played in a whole bunch of big games. So I think if you're a, uh, if you're a UCLA fan, you've really enjoyed watching these guys close out games in the last five, six minutes of, of game. All right, we'll come back to that in just a moment, but let me pivot to, to the football world. Dennis Dodd had another piece on CBS uh, this morning. Uh, our friend Dennis Dodd saying the Big 12 is ready to pounce if the Pac-12 falls apart. What's the latest here, John? And is George Klyovkov anywhere to be found in Vegas? Yeah, I saw I saw him today at the Oregon game. He was sitting courtside, and I thought uh, I thought the piece again. I'll go back to this. You know, I'm looking for a source that appears to be connected to the decision makers themselves, and I don't see it in that piece. And and there were a lot of people talking about it, and the fear mongering that's going on is really disappointing. And and I get it. It gets clicks. It gets people to read, and it gets us talking about it. But in the end, uh, you know, George Klyovkov was sitting uh, during the Colorado UCLA game with uh, the president of Arizona, and he has, you know, been involved in long conversations, multiple meetings, and you know, we the rest of us on the outside can flap our arms and we can talk about the imminent demise of the conference all we want. But in the end, it's the 10 presidents and chancellors who are in that room. And it really does come down to, I think, uh, you know, it's going to come down to numbers. And I think the numbers that the Pac-12 is talking about right now and the, and the sources that I have talked with who are in that room believe that they are going to be within range or they're going to beat the Big 12 number. And uh, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, nobody's leaving to take the same amount of money. Nobody's going to do that to their non-revenue generating sports and, and just move for the sake of moving. And we always talk timeline, John, but is it going to get done before the NCAA tournament or are we waiting until at least April? They have a meeting in 13 days where they will presumably discuss uh, the, uh, the media rights deal and, and try to finalize it. Now, I was told by somebody who was in the meeting uh, on Tuesday that they made good progress and that they're feeling they're feeling like they they're moving towards a resolution here. So, sorry about the helicopter overhead, but uh, <laughs> so I, I, I do anticipate. Uh, I think they could, if we're going to be ambitious, I think they could get something done here uh, coming up in about 13 days. And I think if uh, worst case scenario, it could be early April. But uh, I think most people in the Pac-12 circle believe that the 10 universities will stay that they will add some teams for expansion, and that this will all now uh, become something that we uh, 
we don't talk about anymore, and I'll be happy to do that. <laughs> I know I will let you go on this. I know earlier in the week we were talking about you know storylines we're most fatigued with, and I posited the uh, the media negotiations, but I I thought about it later. And I think part of the reason why it's fatiguing is because I know deep down it's important. Like it's a really important topic that needs resolution. Yeah. But it's almost because it's so important that we get all these strands of rumors and, and, you know, all these things that aren't necessarily fact-based. And that's the part that's exhausting as well, John. But I do appreciate your work that's sourced and true. And stick with it, man. (laughs) Stick with it because it's going to be over at some point. I I told somebody today at the arena, somebody, a fan came up and said, I'm really worried about the conference. And I said, well, why are you worried? And they said, because I'm hearing all this stuff. And I said, well, where is it coming from? You know, it's coming from the Big 12. I mean, we all know that. It's. We do, the thing that's new here is, you know, we have seen propaganda. We have seen smear campaigns, but normally we see them in politics. We don't see this in, in college athletics. And so I think the fact that we're seeing this for the first time, there goes the roller coaster. Uh, the first time we're seeing this in college athletics, I think it, it really does feel different. Somehow the roller coaster is very fitting for the topic. <laughs> that we're talking about. Love it. Last thing, JC, how, how do you think it is? Oregon, UCLA. You predicted earlier in the week that the Ducks would make it to the Pac-12 title game. Nafali, Dante, and everything. How, how do you think that one shapes up tomorrow night? There was about 10 or 12 minutes early in this Oregon game where I watched Oregon on the court. You see so much length and athleticism, explosiveness. Just a lot. There's a lot of talent. Oregon's got some guys that nobody talks about who are going to have a chance to make an NBA roster. And all that length and athleticism, can they on one night for one moment be the better team in the building when it comes to UCLA? They've led UCLA at halftime twice and lost both games. So that's that second-half experience for UCLA that has been a difference maker. Oregon's going to have to overcome that tomorrow night, but I'm still picking the Ducks. I'll stay with my pick. At John Cazzano, BFT on Twitter, must follow there. And, of course, the founder and namesake of this radio show, The Bald Face Truth with John Cazzano, joining us live from Vegas in the Pac-12 tournament. John, you'll never complain, but I know you're playing hurt. I really appreciate you having a few minutes for us live from Vegas. Of Thank course. you. Anything for this show. <laughs> Love you guys. <laughs> it's been that way for 13 years, and it will continue to be that way. That is John Cazzano from Vegas. Anything for the show. Amen, brother. Amen. Appreciate that. If you missed any part of that conversation, find the podcast on demand by subscribing to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano wherever you get your podcasts, and it will be uploaded as well at 750thegame.com. JC is one of one, and uh, it's great that he had a few minutes for us. I do know he's playing hurt. He, he is grinding some stuff out physically right now, but the dude is, the dude is all about it. He's in a category of, of his own. He's still got all the sources. He's still got all the info. doesn't matter if he's hurt or not. He's still killing it. It's awesome. Awesome. And we're very grateful. Uh, More of your reaction as well at 503-417-7575. Ducks moving on. So they get UCLA tomorrow night. You can talk about that. You can also uh, join the conversation on the uh, the latest with Pac-12 media rights negotiations. What's true, what's not true, and all that. I know it can be a little taxing. It can be exhausting. But I am curious where you are at as a listener right now. Are you worried about the future of the Pac-12? Because if you look at anything on http colon backslash twitter.com, yeah, you'd be worried. Do you believe that stuff? I don't know. I don't think I do. I think Brett Yormark is in the vein of Kevin Warren here in a little bit of a, a different way. But George Klyovkov's got a lot of enemies. 
Maybe that Drake song should be his life motto right about now. <laughs> He's got a lot of enemies. Final segment of the Bald Face Truth coming back in a moment. Newbie and for Gazzano right here. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. everyone for joining the show thanks to john canzano for joining live from vegas moments ago if you missed any part of john's appearance you can find it on the podcast on demand wherever you get your podcast it was really good stuff with jc uh hit on the oregon win of course 75 70 over wazoo so the ducks going on to the uh, pac-12 tournament semifinals to face ucla uh nafali dante sounds like he's going to be able to play you know in, in all his attitudes so that's good. What percentage of him is available? That's a question. But what we say the betting line has opened at, Stephen, five? Five, yeah. Okay. UCLA minus five, so um, doable for the Ducks for sure. I think they, they've got to be a live dog in that situation uh, with, with the Bruins. But that being said, the Bruins have, man, they've got some steely nerve, man. They've got some metal. They've got some experience. They're going to be a hard team to take down even without – Jalen Clark, that's for sure. So excited about that one. Ducks and Bruins, 6 o'clock tomorrow, Pac-12 Network. And, of course, you can hear it right here on 750 The Game in Portland from Westwood One and streaming at 750thegame.com. Now, as for what we talked about on the B side, the uh, the Pac-12 you know, media rights negotiations and the Big 12 looking to poach some Pac-12 schools, etc. Dennis Dodd's piece on CBSSports.com once again. Uh, tracking out that Brett Yormark in the Big 12 is ready to pounce once the Pac-12 fractures, and they are going after the four-corner schools. They are going after uh, Colorado, uh, Arizona, Arizona State. They're going after Utah. Like These are going to be the teams that they're going to go after to come join the Big 12 conference. And look, man, I, I just think I don't know a ton about Brett Yormark other than the amount that that we can see and feel. And he came on the Gonzalo and Wilner podcast. And, you know, I would still recommend everybody to go back and listen to that conversation from a couple weeks back. It was really good. I, I laughed. I didn't cry, but I experienced the, the whole gamut of emotions with Brett Yormark. But what has ultimately become too apparent is that this guy is planting seeds of doubt with every journalist that has a pulse. He is a master networker of uh, webbing. I won't call them out and out lies, but he's just got a master web going of shade. <laughs> it just feels like a lot of shade that Brett Yormark is, is uh, handing out to any journalist who will listen uh, that, that has some type of angle that can generate consternation among the Pac-12 schools. And, there might be a little bit of consternation, but certainly not to the degree that's being reported by Dennis Dodd. Certainly not to the degree that's being reported by a lot of different media outlets out there. So when it's all said and done, am I kind of exhausted with the topic? Am I kind of, you know, exhausted with the angles? Yes. But as I expressed to John on the phone moments ago, I think part of that is 
rooted in the fact that I know it's an important topic and it's going to ultimately affect each and every one of us individually as fans of this conference, fans of the schools within this conference. This has long-term implications, and therefore the path and the progress to the ultimate resolution is an important path and progress to track. But it is exhausting. And I am tired, and I can't wait for it to be resolved. But, Stephen, it doesn't look like it's going to be resolved anytime uh, before the NCAA tournament begins. And I know the next meeting with the CEO group is scheduled for about two weeks from now. And here's the thing, Judah. Like, I believe everything John is saying, right? And I believe that the Pac-12 feels like they're in a good spot. And for that, like, you should have a calm peace of mind. But in the back of my mind, you're dealing with the Pac-12. And there's been so many bad choices in the Pac-12 in their history. I mean, think of how long this has been. It's the end of June is when this started. And we're still talking about the media rights deal, and they haven't made any moves. You haven't really heard that much information out there. Like, I want to believe. I want to believe it's going to be great, and it's going to be just as good. But now you see all this information. And it may be false information coming out of Brett Yormark's camp, feeding these you know journalists and the writers. But at the same time... I think, man, is the Pac-12 going to really screw this up again? And and it's always going to be in the back of my mind until I see it not happen. Now, I believe John. I believe all the sources. I'm not saying he's wrong. I just have that doubt in my mind of this is the Pac-12. Like I can't, yeah. I can't trust it. I have no faith. They've earned no faith points with me to have them trust them on any situation, especially in this one. And as you said, as such an important situation as this is, we talk about it all the time. But this is such an important spot in the Pac-12's future. I don't want it to go away. I want it to thrive. I think it's going to, but man, I still have some doubts. To your point, I think it'd be naive to blindly think that the Pac-12 is going to be just fine. (laughs) After all, no one saw UIC and UCLA leaving. No one saw that coming. You know, to the Big 12's detriment themselves, no one saw Texas and Oklahoma leaving. Like, just bizarre things happen, even if you have decent leadership in place, like um, Bowlesby. The former Big 12 commissioner, good commissioner, you know, but loses Texas and Oklahoma. And in the ever-changing landscape of collegiate athletics, ends up, you know, retiring and leaving. And Brett, your mark seems like uh, a very different type of leader than than uh, Bowlesby was. Um, in the Pac-12, I think a lot of my faith that it's going to work out for the better for this conference is rooted in George Klyovkov. But I think a lot of that faith in Klyovkov is the fact that he's not Larry Scott. And against the backdrop of what Larry Scott was, a lot of people are going to look good. George included. Can't be worse. Well, probably not. Right. Hopefully not. Yeah, it'd be hard. It'd be hard. It'd be hard. <laughs> Champagne Larry. That being said, I, I do wonder how much of my faith in Klyovkov is rooted in the fact that he's not Larry Scott and how much of it is in the fact that, hey, George is the guy to get this thing done. He's going to keep everybody together, and he might add some people along the way. I don't really know. It's an uncomfortable spot to be in as a fan, and that's unfortunate for fans to be in that spot. But at the end of the day, it will be okay if it comes out with a favorable deal for the conference and everybody stays together. Dude, so much is riding on this final result. It better be a good one, or else we in trouble. With that, Let's close up shop. This has been Judah Newby in for John Katz on all the bald face truth. Find the podcast. If you missed it with JC on the show, thanks to Stephen Vaughn. Talk to you tomorrow.